Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Listening to highlights from the opinion line on Corks 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Friday. Thank goodness. Thank Crunchy. Friday, 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I want to know, are you nervous about the schools going back on Monday? We've been teasing this one out over the last few days, I spoke to a mum earlier in the week. She's very nervous about sending her, her youngster back on, on Monday. And I think other people are too, despite the reassurances coming from the Taoiseach and despite the reassurances coming from all the public health experts and the doctors that, that it's okay, it's, it's safe enough to send them back. And despite the evidence from all over the world where a lot of countries have reopened their schools quite successfully relatively successfully anyway people are still nervous and when you have all this nonsense about hand sanitizers not being fit for purpose when all that's going on like why why would you be anything but nervous sending sending your your children back to school on 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 Monday I'll get to that in just a second but before I do like was this the political moment of the week or what clothes are not essential clothes are not essential clothes 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 are not essential did he just say what we think he said clothes are not essential clothes are not essential clothes 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 are not essential ah jesus let's listen to what he said in full all those codes can still be purchased. But Minister, are sorry, socks, sorry, Mary, hang on, are socks for your child essential? Yeah, clothes are not essential. Um, but again, there's still, of course, in, in all situations, there's a bit of common sense. And the Gardaí have been very... That seems mad, Minister. Well, well, again, what's essential, what's not essential, okay? So I can buy a bottle of wine, but I cannot buy socks for my son. Socks come on, they're clothes, Mary. And Mary, I, <laughs> but most yeah, people so, regard so, them as essential. We can go through I, exactly, and, we, and, and Vincent regards the book as essential. So everybody has their own view on this. Minister Damien English making a pig's ear of it on on um, prime time last night with 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 Miriam O'Callaghan. You just just times when you just throw back your head and or throw down your head into your hands and you go, is this really what's running the country? I'd like to 
have your thoughts on that as well. Other people think the whole thing is blown out of proportion and that it's just the media whipping up a bit of crack on on clothes and, sco- and, and buying baby clothes and socks. But then you had a spoofing session par excellence last night between, between him and, and Michael McNamara. Is Michael McNamara growing a badger on his head? That, 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 anyway, we'll come back to that if you want to. But Michal Martin is convinced that the schools should and indeed will reopen on Monday. There's a genuine and general desire to keep our schools open. Uh, To me, um, children at school is essential for their mental well-being um, and their their socialisation and also in terms of their life chances subsequently. So uh, this is a very, very important national objective for the country. NEFID and the public health authorities are absolutely clear schools are safe and are safe. In fact, what the Chief Medical Officer said to me last Saturday week was they're safer than being outside of school. Earlier in the week, I took a call from a mom on this programme. Didn't want to give her name, didn't want to name her her youngster's school. And and that's all very fine. We have all those details. But she talked about her her youngster being COVID tested and thankfully he had two tests and both were negative. But the whole thing was a, a bit of a rigmarole. She went into that in detail. But just as we were getting to the end of our conversation, I asked her how she felt about the youngsters going back to school next week. I just think the HSE was a total joke, the limbo we were left in all week. Like. Yeah. I am going to be asking more maybe tomorrow and Friday of parents about what happens when uh, midterm break is over and everyone's due to go back next Monday because I know there's a lot of worry out there now seeing as we are gone into the, the restrictions the level 5 yeah. restrictions whether whether some parents will, will send their kids back next week like are you prepared even he's obviously had two tests and he's clear and I hope all of his friends are okay yeah. do you feel safe sending him back now next no, week? No I don't to be honest PJ I just don't think I just don't think I could put a week down like I did last week. And taking into account what Tony Holohan told Michal Martin and what Michal Martin then told us that they're probably safer there than they are elsewhere based on the public health statistics and advice. But all the public health statistics and all the advice and all the reassurance from politicians, especially when politicians can say the kind of things that Damien English said last night, it doesn't reassure them. It doesn't really reassure parents. Rachel, good morning. Good morning, love. How are you? Not too bad. Will you be sending herself back on Monday? I don't have a choice. Um, and I agree completely with Micheál Martin that the schools have to stay open. And the reason I do is because there are lots of children out there, PJ, suffering abuse. They need to be out of the house, you know? There is, there is that. But, I mean, earlier in the year, you were talking seriously about homeschooling. Why did you change your mind on that? Because, as you know, I live 60 seconds from the school. <laughs> so we would have heard the kids going to school. And I had to listen to Lolly. And she made a valid point. She said, Mommy, I'm going to hear them every day going to school. And it's going to be very hard for me. So, you know, you have to listen to the child as well. But, like, every day I send her in there, PJ, I am playing Russian roulette. You know, and she's in this very small school. As you know, Scover Junior School is very small. Her classes are small. We were able to solidify an extra building. Yeah. So we have lots of space. There's maybe eight to ten in a class. It's brilliant. And I think they've done a super job just just chatting to people going to and from in the street. They've done a wonderful job. They have pulled out. Like, none of the principals of any schools, public or private, have had any summer holiday this year. The teachers, we were moved. They were moving chairs and tables 
up to the new building. I mean, everything. They have pulled out all the stops. And every morning when a teacher's alarm clock goes off, they are risking their lives to make sure children are safe. That You have to think of the worst-case scenario because there was so much drinking went on the last lockdown. You have to think of the worst-case scenario, a child at home whose mother or father, male or female, is suffering abuse by the other mm. and who is getting, you know, the you-know-what kicked out of them on a daily basis, you know, dealing with parents with hangovers, dealing with parents who just can't deal anymore. Mm. So get them out of the house and get them into school. So I completely... completely back the government. Talking to a child protection specialist that I know recently, they were concerned about another lockdown. They were concerned about the schools closing again because of just what you've said, that if the children aren't going to school, the early warning signs of trouble, that's one of the key red flags. A school can make a a, a referral to to the authorities if they're worried about a child. That link is taken out of the chain if the schools aren't open. They're totally on their own, PJ, hiding underneath the bed, hiding in their bedrooms, afraid to be kids because their parents can't take it. So I I totally, I applaud all of the teachers. I mean, I obviously, you know, I have a cleaning company, so Free The Way cleans for a lot of schools. And I can tell you they are pulling out all of the stops for the cleaning as well and a good cleaning system in your school. They've even got fogging machines. Some of the schools have got fogging machines in. They're doing everything. They're doing absolutely everything they can to make sure that that kid, that worst-case scenario, gets to go into school and has some respite from a situation that is just so horrendous. And we're seeing, we're really seeing now, the mental health um, tragedy that the previous lockdown and that COVID is creating. And you have to say to yourself... Is the cure worse than the disease? And to me, it's it's not. Well, we'll be getting to that later in the programme because we're going to discuss the whole zero COVID thing again because there are those who insist it can and should be done. But just staying with, with the children, that woman I spoke to on Wednesday, now, her son and herself had been through a horrendous rigmarole trying, have, to get, yeah. trying to get him tested. And, and that didn't leave a good taste in her mouth. She she didn't feel that the stress was worth it sending him back on Monday. And you see, and I would be the same if if that was Lolly and if there was, you know, if I had to send her to get tested, for starters, how traumatic is that? Watching your child have something, you know, oh gosh, it's just so awful to think of. I hope they come up with a better way to do it. But um, I would totally, I would totally understand why she wouldn't. And she sounds like, from, from when, I, when you were talking to her, like somebody who could homeschool, and that's fantastic. Mm. Um, and, there are, and I would love to have homeschooled, you know, it would have been tough. But anybody but, can if they want to, we went over that. Well, you can if you want to, exactly. But there's a lot of people out there that don't want to. So, you know, that they, they like their freedom. So, and, <laughs> you know, you have to weigh it up. But there's also a lot of people out there um, that, that just are not good parents, love, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, there is that. There is there that. Is that. Yeah. And, and it, it's very, it's, for some children, it's the only safe place they've got in the day. Thank you, Rachel. 1857 I'd love to take a poll. I'd love to do a poll. I'll talk to Terry there during the break. And I'd love to do a poll as to whether you feel safe. Simply that. Whether you feel safe for your children to go back to school on Monday. Everybody seems to say, look, it's perfectly okay. The public health advice is it's perfectly okay. We're being told, follow the doctors. We're being told, do what the, the chief medical officer tells us. 
well, we're being told by the chief medical officer that it's okay. That's what the message, I'll play it again. That's the message Michal Martin conveyed to us yesterday. There's a genuine and general desire to keep our schools open. Uh, To me, um, children at school is essential for their mental well-being um, and their their socialisation and also in terms of their life chances subsequently. So uh, this is a very, very important national objective for the country. NEFID and the public health authorities are absolutely clear schools are safe and are safe. In fact, what the chief medical officer said to me last Saturday week was they're safer than being outside of school. Now, he was referring in particular to teenagers, was, was Dr. Holohan, but that's, that's, that's the bit that I, 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 I'm using. I won't press the red button. Why should they put the red button there if you're not allowed to press it? I feel like it's like when an animal sees like an orange and black frog and knows not to eat it. Frog? Hey. Are you actually comparing our Saturday show to a bear not eating a frog? I'm just saying that's why I don't press the red button. Got me Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. If you want to hear me trying to figure out what's going on in Demi's brain, Saturdays, tune in to us to see what else Demi figures out. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music made. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Corks 96 FM. Yeah, we set that up now on Twitter about whether or not you feel safe sending your children back to school on Monday. You can go to our Twitter at Opinion Line 96 and vote there. Or if you feel like doing it on text or on WhatsApp, the number 083 396 96 96. The simple question is this. Do you feel safe sending your children back to school on Monday? School, yes, if you do. School, no, if you don't. School, yes, if you feel perfectly safe and you have no problem. School, no, if you don't. As you prepare to vote in that, the latest from the experts, this reported in the Irish Times today, Dr. Abigail Collins, who is a consultant in public health medicine, said the general data is very reassuring and is showing that schools in general are not incubators of the disease. New figures out from the HSE say there was a total of 599 cases of COVID detected among pupils or staff in primary or secondary since they reopened in late August. Now that's a very small number out of the huge number of cases that have come since the end of August. So that's what Dr. Collins is saying. Consultant Public Health Medicine, the latest data, very reassuring. And that is a small number of cases when you consider the colossal number of cases that we've now had in the country. We're now at 60,000 cases, confirmed cases, 60,000 plus confirmed cases in the country. And we have 600 of those out of the schools. So that's a very small percentage, to be absolutely fair. So does it reassure you? Will you be sending, or are you feeling okay about sending your children to school on Monday? Schools, yes, if you are. Schools, no, if you aren't. To text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And we've put it up on Twitter if you want to use that. We'll run it, I'd say, Terry, until maybe 10 o'clock. And we'll collate it at 10 o'clock and we'll see what people think. Are you feeling safe about sending the schools or sending the kids back to school on Monday? You are, I think, Louise. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. You safe? You feel safe? Yes. Uh, you know what, PJ? Um, I'm definitely sending my kids back to school. Um, you know, before 
just before I, go, I carry on um, and people shouting at me at the radio, <laughs> I do have a high-risk son. Um, he got the RSV virus when he was six months old and he it kind of damaged his lungs. So, you know, he picks up absolutely everything that you can think of. Um, he'd been in and out of hospital for two months, every two months when we were back home, when we came back, when we came to Ireland, he was on an antibiotic and a steroid at least once a month. Um, you know, the GP would actually even know his cough when we were sitting in the, in the, in the waiting room. So I do, I do understand and I do understand all that people are going through. Um, but I am basing my knowledge on the statistics that are coming out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they're saying that there's no peer-to-peer um, and they're saying that there's very little um, transmission in the schools, then I don't see why the kids shouldn't be at school, Yeah, to be totally honest. Yeah. That figure of, six, as I said, 600 out of 60,000, that's a very significant figure. It's but six, where did yeah. they get that from? Did Those they get are, it inside the school or did they get it outside the school that. and bring it in? You see that. what I'm saying? I so a lot, of, a lot of people are saying, yes, um, you know, this school's now been, uh, had, had a case positive. This had a case positive. But it's never been the children inside giving it to. It's been an adult that's come out from the outside and given it in or a child that's come into the school, but he's got it from somebody on the outside. Or a, so they're not actually. There is still no evidence that uh, yeah. just before lockdown there were those three children that came back positive. Yeah, it's roughly um, one I, in one hundred cases connected to a school. Yes. So, like, I don't know <laughs> if if I feel if I have to pull my children out of school, and again, it's my opinion, then I shouldn't be going anywhere. I shouldn't be going to the park. I shouldn't be going to a shop. I should have everything delivered. You know, you can't pull them out of school and then still think that you can go around. I don't know. That, that's my my yeah. feeling. How does he feel? I mean, look, you've explained to me he's high risk. Yeah. And, and clearly you've made a, a decision based on the best advice that you can get. How does he feel? Well, he's four. And being at home, he he just he, he either sits on his tablet or he, he's not, he's also, um, he had a difficult birth. So he's a little bit behind on what his age is. So, you know, he doesn't do puzzles and stuff yet. And he does. So actually going into school and the reason why I've actually kept him in now. So he's in school now because they've got an aftercare is, you know, at the beginning when we were taking them in after the lockdown, I'd have to pry him off my legs. I had to pry him he, like off my shoulder and, have him screaming and kicking. He was scared. And, uh, and at the end of the day, he's now going into school where he's walking in and he's waving and, uh, you know, he's saying, love you, mom, and off he goes. So how can, I, how can I stop that again? And then go back to, you know, having the, anxiety, the um, what do they call it? Uh, separation anxiety again yeah, for yeah, him yeah, when yeah. he's doing so well at school and again as a high risk child he's been fine Good. And, that's, and, and long may that continue Louise thank you very much for that 1850715996 Louise's young fella has high risk medical history she's sending him back she feels quite safe about it he feels 
well, he's four. He feels okay. He's happy to leave mum and go to school in the morning. Just turning the numbers there uh, from that report, I quoted Dr. Abigail Collins. This is in the Irish Times today. She's a consultant in public health. To reiterate, 599 cases. Let's let's say for the sake of the story, 600 cases. And we have gone just over 60,000 cases now confirmed since the start of the pandemic. So 600 out of 60,000 confirmed cases, that's one case in a 100 connected to the schools. The facts don't lie, I guess. The, the numbers don't lie. And then someone, someone said, stop scaremongering, PJ. Kids need an education and we have to live with this virus. I'm not scaremongering. How could I be scaremongering when I'm giving you the figures? I'm giving you the numbers. My children are long gone from school. If I had children of school-going age, would I send them in on Monday morning? I would have to think about it, but based on those kind of numbers and based on what the public health doctors are telling us, I think I would, yes. But what would you do? Schools, yes, or schools, no, to 083 396 96 96 via text or WhatsApp, and we have it up on Twitter as well, at OpinionLine96. Currently, the majority feels it's safe enough. We let it run until around 10 o'clock. Catherine here says this message. Am I the only one who's tired of listening to the schools and the teachers? I've been working on the front line all the time since March, as have a lot more people. I've heard the doctors, the nurses, the care assistants, shop assistants, postmen, guards, talking about going on strike. I haven't heard any of that. How is it there's been no problem with sanitizer, only the lack of it up to now? Just get on with it. You had a long break and the children need structure. At the end, thanks to all those frontline workers who've been amazing throughout this. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Catherine. 1850-715-996. Staying with schools, the poll will run until 10. If you feel safe about sending the children back to school on Monday, schools, yes. If you don't, schools, no. To 083 396 96 Most people still fairly safe about it, feeling fairly safe about it. It's on the Twitter as well at Opinion Line 96. I'm staying with schools though for a few minutes because the Department of Education, and I'm reading here from the journal.ie, the Department of Education has issued an urgent notice to schools that a further 52 sanitizing products have been removed from its approved list. This follows the recall recently of Virapro sanitizers. That was before the midterm break. So multiple brands and multiple types now of wipes and sanitizers and soaps and detergents have had to be removed from the approved list. It followed a review from the Department of Education and the Department of Agriculture of the products being used as PPE in schools. And this, I keep saying it, this is the kind of thing... And the contact tracing debacle that that woman described for me earlier in the week. This is the kind of thing that makes people nervous about sending the children back to school rather than, in particular, the prospect of getting the virus. But Dona is Sinn Féin's education spokesman, Cork South Central TD. Is it any wonder, Dona people would be nervous with this kind of thing going on? Good morning. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I do think that there is... 
you know, the department really needs to get a handle on COVID safety measures in schools because it's, it's falling short of the mark in a lot of ways. And this example of the uh, issue around the sanitizers is a very good example of it. First of all, last week we had a product that was actively harmful, causing dermatitis, skin damage, issues for respiratory uh, conditions, asthma, all this kind of stuff. Um, and now yesterday, like, late last night, like, you know, there's only, you know, but over the weekend for schools to sort out whatever replacements they need to get schools open Monday, you know, so it's putting an awful lot of pressure on schools. Um, but these didn't have the correct paperwork and couldn't be confirmed to be safe. So, like, I mean, the question for me is, you know, I have seen correspondence from the department to a member of the public, and it said that uh, all products that were selected and were recommended for schools to be used uh, were all the providers were meant to provide samples. They were supposed to be tested by a team that had the necessary skills and technical competencies. So, like, I mean, if that happened, like, how did so many products that were flawed or indeed harmful in the case so, of okay, fire, to me, it, 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 the cracks? It asks a deeper question. And ever since day one of this, we've been sticking our hands under nozzles and taps and in every shop and every chemist and everywhere we go into uh, since this all started, we have them downstairs and all over the building here in 96FM. We've put all sorts of different chemicals on our hands to send it as and going in everywhere. You would think, would you not, that all these chemicals, before they even go to market, have been checked by a safety expert? Yeah, well, like, I mean, you would hope so. And anything that's meant to be licensed for use is meant to be tested by the Department of Agriculture. But, like, I suppose the point I'm making is whatever tests were there just clearly weren't adequate. If there was dozens, over 50 products that didn't have the necessary paperwork that they should have had, that they couldn't be confirmed to be absolutely safe, and in the case of Virapro, was actively harmful uh, and has harmed uh, children. You know, this was used for, for children in schools, and it did affect their skin, and it has affected uh, respiratory conditions and this is what we are asking children put on their hand numerous yeah. times a day so it's it's not good enough and to be honest I think the Minister has been ducking and diving a bit on this when the first issue emerged uh, yesterday a week ago I stood up the toilet said the Minister needs to come in and make a statement you yeah. at the time uh, give an explanation what's going on provide reassurance well, I think the, to be fair Donica the, the Minister has said that the these products could be back in the schools as quickly as they were taken out of them. It's a licensing issue at the base of this. Yeah, but like, I mean, you could make that sound technical, but the point is, like, I mean, they weren't able to demonstrate that these were uh, totally safe. Like, you know, so that's a big issue itself. But the first one, Virapro itself, it was harmful. And she didn't come into the dial to make a statement. She didn't come before the Education Committee, which uh, the Education Committee, myself and Aon reared on, requested she come before. She didn't do that. So she's not been taking the opportunities here for full public accountability and to provide reassurance and to ensure that this was all rectified. These products that they've been removed, that came about because of a review of all the products. And obviously it's welcome that they're reviewing everything. But, like, I mean, again, how did we get to this point? Checking wasn't adequate. And it's one of a number of issues that I, I really don't think the department have a full handle on this. And you see that there are teachers' unions, uh, the ACI, uh, concerned as well and looking at potential industrial action. I sincerely hope that doesn't happen. I hope that there is a resolution found. But an awful lot of the issues that they're talking about and that indeed parents are talking about have been there since before schools ever reopened and they yeah. just haven't got the grips to it. The contact tracing one is a key one. You know, people yeah. waiting days uh, after a positive no. result to be told that they're at close contact. There is uh, a to-be-fair argument to be made here, Dunica, and, and it's this. And if you take a, a good read on reliable media, and you know what I'm saying, I'm not saying there, you know, it's not as if anybody in the world has got this completely right. 
there are, you know, things are being reviewed and checked and we checked and changed all over the world for the simple reason is we don't get that many pandemics. No, that's it. Like, I mean, I absolutely accept that. And I think, to be fair, like, I mean, we have given the Department of Education an awful lot of space around a number of educational issues. And we've given them, like, I mean, there have been issues I've raised with the minister in private before, uh, a long time before I raised them in public to give them the opportunity to rectify them. Like, I recognise that these times are challenging, but there are certain things that you do expect minimum standards. And that's, you know, the safety of what mm. we put on our hands and at least one of those products was actively harmful. There are things that we could have always anticipated. Yes, we know that our knowledge of the disease is developing and the way it's uh, spreading is changing and uh, you know the restrictions, the impact of that but we always knew before schools opened that we needed more space, that we needed rapid testing, that we needed uh, tracing to work. Like, I mean, we knew that from a very early stage and they still haven't got to grips with those issues. We have an education system that's one of the most overcrowded in Europe. No real action has been taken to resolve that, as far as I'm concerned, particularly in those schools that have the most challenges in achieving social distancing. And the tracing issue is enormous. Well, well, listening to that parent I spoke to earlier in the week, the the tracing just was a cluster in, in a mess in, in, in her school. Now, can I put one more question to you? And it's this, Dunica. What what did you think of this last night? All those codes can still be purchased. But Minister, are socks, very on, are socks for your child essential? Yeah, clothes are not essential. Um, but again, there's still, of course, in, in all situations, there's a bit of common sense. And the Gardaí have been very... That ap- seems mad, Minister. Well, well, again, what's essential, what's not essential, OK? So I can buy a bottle of wine. Well, I cannot buy socks for my son. Socks come on, they're clothes, Mary. And Mary, I, it's, <laughs> but most yeah, people so, regard so, them as essential. We can go through I, exactly, and, we, and, and Vincent regards the book as essential. So everybody has their own view on this. What did you think of that, Dunica? I I didn't see it at the time, but I heard reports of that first and people. It's the first time I'm actually listening to it live. But I think it's grotesque, to be honest. Like I mean, some of the discussion around clothing and things like that. Look, I mean, particularly for for either parents of newborn children or for people who are who are carers uh, of vulnerable people. The fact is, needs for clothing can arise urgently. You know, um, it can be a growth spurt. It can be uh, whatever can happen, uh, and it can be urgent and it is necessary. Like I mean, the segment of click and collect, click. It just doesn't work like that. I think people do need to be able to buy uh, some of the basic items of clothing. Uh, obviously, like I mean, there there is a need for a sensible approach. Is there a there case to be everything. made for children's clothes to be exempted? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think undoubtedly. Like I mean, and you know, children's clothes in particular have always been treated differently. Like I mean, you you can probably remember, like you know, debates in the past around VAT on children's. I can indeed. Children's Our government clothes. fell over such a thing. Yes. Precisely, yeah. So, like, I mean, it's always been acknowledged to be different. I think it is different. And, I, like, I mean, I'm thinking of parents and newborn children. Like, it goes fucking make your entire wardrobe for the child redundant in a week, like, you know. So, you know, you just have to go and get more, like, you know. So, do you think, do you think pressure was going to mount over the next few days to, to get that exemption in for the next, for, for the last few weeks of this I think so. I think it is, absolutely. Uh, and I think it should. And I hope that there is a response to it. Um, look, I appreciate that, like as you say, this has never been done before. Decisions are made in haste. But when decisions are made in haste, uh, you know, there needs to be an openness to reviewing some of the unintended and foolish outworkings of it. And this is definitely a foolish outworking of it. And it just needs to be fixed. Common sense needs to prevail here. Uh, so they need to fix it. All right.
Leave it there, Donica. Thanks very much. Donica O'Leary, Sinn Féin, TD and Spokesman on Education. Maybe that's something that you could put to Neffert. God, they're on the phone to him every so often. Could you not put that to Neffert or to Dr. Holohan? Could we make an exception for the children's clothes? Could we do that? 1850 To the schools again. Kevin is a teacher of maths and English at Clush to Eamon Reish. You're also, I think, active in the ASTI, Kevin. You guys want to go back to school on Monday. You've every intention of going back to school on Monday. Do you feel safe? Good morning. Um, yes, PJ. Um, I think the fact that we had a ballot this week uh, calling for improved tracking and tracing times uh, shows our commitment to actually want to keep the schools open. You know, we don't want our members waiting three or four days for test results to be returned. It means they're sitting at home, they can't be in schools teaching their classes. So, I mean, that initiative has come from us and I, I think we do, you know, we've shown that we want the schools to remain open. But our members are very anxious and understandably so. I mean, I just heard you there talking to Donico Lira and, you know, in the last couple of weeks, there has been, I suppose, an undermining of the whole public system in terms of the COVID uh, tracking and tracing system, and also in schools. We've we've heard reports of obviously the defective hand sanitizer um, testing centre in UCD there last week that wasn't operating, operating, and we're also hearing, like we're being led to believe by Neffet that the transmission levels in schools is almost zero but yet there were 46 additional outbreaks in schools last week, bringing the total to 126. Um, Also in the public, we're hearing about the number of missed appointments, that people are not turning up to appointments, KTSE asking people to trace your own contacts. And we've also heard of a situation in Loud where teachers were being told to ignore the fact that they were determined as close contacts by the COVID app. So... In the midst of all that, we're, we're led to believe that the numbers are supposed to be coming down. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there is obviously a lot of anxiety among our members, um, particularly, I suppose, after a midterm break, um, because, you know, while I have to I have to point out that the students, particularly in our school, have been excellent since September in terms of wearing their masks and hand sanitizing and cleaning their desks, etc., you know, can we be sure that they were as rigid at that over the course of this week? Um, yeah. And they'll be returning into our classroom on Monday morning at 8.45. So teachers are anxious. Quick quick question. You're a maths yeah. teacher, so analyse my, my analysis of the figures. I, I was looking at the figures released by the HSE, which say 600, 599, 600, as good as make a difference, 599 cases detected among pupils or staff in primary or secondary schools. Out of 60,000 total cases since the start of the pandemic, that's giving one in 100. Am I oversimplifying it? Well, you see, PJ, I suppose one of the the issues that that we're coming across in schools is the definition of a close contact. So it seems to be like the ASTI was adamant back in August that we would not accept a deviation of public policy in in the wider society. And we're led to believe that you know, in wider society, you're a close contact if you're in close proximity to somebody for 15 minutes or more. But what seems to be happening in schools is that, okay, there may be a case where a student is, is contracts uh, COVID-19, but there seems to be nobody who has been determined as a close contact. No, it, may, it beggars belief that a student could be in a classroom with three or four students sitting within a metre of them for an hour class 
and maybe four different students for the next hour class six times a day, and they're not being deemed as close contacts. And that's another serious issue. So maybe that's the reason why the figures are so low, that these are not being categorised as school transmissions, even though effectively they are. Answer me one question with regards to the ballot this week. And it it was headlined as teachers have balloted for for strike action, as as all of the members I've spoken to have said, look, that's only to give us the option if we need it. Do you know of any of your colleagues that want to go on strike here? Do you want to go on strike here? At the moment, no, PJ. Um, I suppose it, it's, it's a wording issue that needs to be included in any industrial ballot up to and including strike action. I mean, the ASTI has been looking to meet with the National Public Surveillance Team since early September to discuss the rise in figures, and they refused to meet us. You know, we've been forced on this route because they've refused to meet us to discuss the issues in schools. Um, So it is a last resort. I mean, as I said, I think the fact that we are the ones looking for better tracing times, we are the ones looking for definition of close contacts, shows our commitment to keep the schools open. This would be a a major last resort. I don't personally see it happening. Um, Teachers want to keep schools open. I think the other point here, PJ, as I said, look, normally I'd be in class, but I I did happen to to hear your show on Wednesday morning when you spoke to Mick Barry, and you were appalled to hear that contact tracers would be asked to use their own laptops. Um, You know, teachers back in March when the schools closed on a physical basis have been using all their own equipment. We've received no national training program for online learning. We've received no protocols from the government. Now, we've been doing this. We've probably been breaking GDPR for the last six months. And, you know, that was another issue that we balloted on, calling on the department to roll out laptops for teachers and students. They've had six months, PJ, you know, they haven't done this. And maybe that's the reason why they're so intent on keeping schools open. Um, And it seems to be that, you know, keep the schools open no matter what. We keep hearing that schools, keeping schools open is a priority. Well, if we are, then we should be up the line in terms of testing and tracing and getting our results back. That definitely does. From that parent I spoke to earlier in the week, and the dads, Fergal and Terry, had been talking to her in more detail off the air and all that. Like, she was very dissatisfied with the way the contact tracing went. Her son was a close contact. There was, it emerged several cases in the class, but it took several days to get a phone call. Who tested? Who organized the test? It was just a mess. I mean, um, we're getting we're getting reports of that as well from from our members. You know, teachers waiting three and four days, and obviously then they have to self isolate or restrict their movements until such time, as well as close contacts. And that's also leaving a lot of our principals, ASTI principals, and school managements in very tight situations, trying to get staff in at short notice yeah. to cover classes. You know, there isn't an abundance of teachers out there. Um, and that's that's causing problems for school yeah. management as well, and and it's it's also affecting students where there's a lack of consistency of not having the same teacher every day. You know, if yeah. if somebody has to be out for three or four days waiting on results, there's definitely a problem with with the tracing and the contact close contact thing in the schools. Thanks, thanks, Kevin. That's Kevin Wall. He's an English and maths teacher. Actually, on the figures, uh, thank you, Mags, who uh, retweets to the opinion line.
Uh, Fergal Bowers uh, from RT and of course previously from the Irish Medical News. The, I would consider Fergal, just personally speaking, the top medical journalist in the country. But that's just me. I've known Fergal for years. The HSE said today the case positivity rate has been low. It said also the proportion of children aged from 4 to 18 diagnosed with COVID has been largely stable between August, when the schools were shut, when it was 14.5%, to October, when they're open, at 15.6%. So it's a fairly stable number. Good to have that. Thanks, Max. We'll go to the Life Centre next. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Letting our little poll run up into and through the 10 o'clock news. We'll give you the result around quarter past 10. Uh, are you safe or do you feel safe sending your children back to school Monday? Schools, yes, if you do. Schools, no, if you don't. 083 396 Or vote on Twitter at OpinionLine96. Don O'Leary's up at the Cork Life Centre. It's a worrying time, Don. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Yeah, it, it is, you know, and, and initially, you know, what I want to say is here that uh, we above want our children in Morris every day. That's what we've always wanted. Mm-hmm. And I know from from the other educational institutes that I've been in contact they're the same. However, there are problems. Um, and the problems is, is both at a communication level and also at a policy level. Um you know, the track and, tra- the track and trace is, is a bit of a joke. Um, from, from personal experience above, um, where we had to make the contact made by public health. And it took five days for us to get to get a, a, to get even a comment or a word about how we were to do it. Now, I think people, and I don't want to scaremonger here, but I think that um, people need to look at this in two ways. There, there, there isn't an exclusivity of saying schools are, are we need kids in schools, um, because we all understand the mental health issues going to raise from kids being out of situa- out of a structured situation for a long time. Very aware of that above. However, we have to above. So take me above, and I'm a small establishment. I have fifty. I have seven hundred twenty-five. Sorry, I, I missed that, Don. You dropped out. You, you mean those numbers again? I have 55 kids, I have 70 staff, that's 125, but that's 125 families. Some of them who have vulnerable people in the families, but the kids were vulnerable, and I need to be sure that I'm not playing God. Um, I need to be sure that if I have a situation and it's properly investigated, that I'm that my staff are, are safe, yeah. And there needs to be transparency. You, you, you don't is, have, you, the line isn't great, you don't have confidence in the contact tracing system as it operates within schools. Uh, no, I, I don't. And that's from my own personal having to do this, you know. Yeah. Five days, 22 calls, 15 different people, and no one able to give yeah. uh, advice. Um, now, I'm very happy with what we have in place above. However, I'm not a public health official. Yeah. And, and, you and find it very hard, did, did you find it very hard to get one? We were saying a couple of weeks ago there should be, I was talking to another principal, there should be a dedicated team, a dedicated helpline number for schools that deals only with schools. Would you agree with that? 
I, I, to- I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, there's lots of fears out there and people have fears. Kids have fears, right? And the only way of, of limiting these fears and to remove these fears is by transparency. We haven't seen that. Okay. You know, schools are being treated differently to other situations. And, you know, I want to take this opportunity. You know, in my case, if a parent rang me and told me about the positive case, I think I would have still known about that now. Um, I think our parents and our I think for lots of school communities have been excellent. Yeah. However, you know, if we're saying there's track and trace there, it needs to be there. I think there needs to be dedicated school lines. It needs to be transparent. You know, I, I feel sorry for 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 leaders on the yeah. kids in their on their premises. Yeah, the the, 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 the the line is breaking up a little bit, so I I leave it with you for there. But th- thank you. The, the the gist of what Don is is saying is that look, the schools. Life Centre, like any other educational institution, they want to stay open, they're willing to stay open, but the tracking and tracing of the individual cases is just not good enough at this stage. Now, here's Dee, who is not sending your children back on Monday. Why not, Dee? Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Um, No, I'm going to keep them out for an extra week. Why? Because I may be... I'm looking at things very black and white. I know the experts are saying... It's quite safe and everything like that. But firstly, it's fine to compare the figure of 600 in schools with 60,000 in the whole country. Yeah. But the schools have only been open two months. You're comparing 600 to 60,000. 60,000 yeah. since last February. But there was the other, the other figure that I read out there just a moment ago. There was 14... 0.5% cases in the schools when they were, or, or in, in children of school going age, when schools were closed, it's only gone up by 1% since they opened. Fair enough. As I said, I'm no, I'm no expert on it, but yeah. I'm looking at things very black and white. Yeah, and which is how I'm most parents keep, would. Yeah. I'm going to keep them out for another week. How do they feel about that? See, will the cases numbers increase next week when the schools open again. How do they feel about that? I'll be honest with you. They're no, they're secondary school age. They are very they have been very nervous going into school lately. One in particular, he has Asperger's so there's a certain amount of anxiety goes with yes, that anyway. Yes, the school is. are absolutely brilliant now, I will say they're I think most schools are, they're doing above and beyond what they should have to do, to be honest with you. Mm. But at the same time, it's, it's basically, I have one, I have one child who, for, before they closed the schools, for the week before they closed the schools, out of 27 pupils in the class, there was only seven pupils in. Yeah, yeah. One, one of them had tested positive, so the other 20 had to stay at home. Yeah. But yeah. my, but what about the other seven in the class? I, I, I just, I just don't it, understand it is what hard determines to understand. a close contact. You, I'm, I, going to, I'm going to leave it because I am out of time. 
thank you for that. You're not sending your two in on Monday. And they're, they're secondary school kids. They're not going in on Monday. You're giving it another week. I wonder, does anybody else feel that way? You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. On Damien English, Tom says he's been mumbling incoherent nonsense for years. It's just that last night he got caught out, says Tom. Someone else said, I thought food, clothing and shelter were always essential. Well, they are. They're among what they call Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think it's Maslow, if I'm pronouncing it right. So, you know, clothing is an essential item to have in your life. Uh, but, of course, according According to Minister English... Clothes are not essential. Clothes are not essential. Clothes, 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 clothes are not essential. So, you know, that's where we are these days. 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I'll ask my next guest actually what he thinks about the essential nature of clothes in just a minute. But earlier in the week, I was talking to Dr. Noel Conway in Queensland about how they've succeeded in Australia in beating down COVID-19 to where they haven't had a case in Queensland for yonks and just, well, weeks anyway, a couple of months. And in Melbourne, uh, where it was the worst lockdown or the hardest lockdown, one of the hardest lockdowns in the world, they went into lockdown in July. And now the state of Victoria, where Melbourne is, is about to be able to declare itself COVID-free, zero covid and I put it to Dr. Conroy that, look, we're always being told, even the Taoiseach said it last week, it can't be done. We're being told that that can't be done here. There is no question, and there, there can be no question, that if you put a virus within a border and, you know, you control that border um, and you aggressively go for it, there is no question um, that you can't you can't eliminate it. So pe- people are saying it's impossible, it's impossible, can't be done. From from a disease control perspective, they're wrong. And, and, and no public health doctor would tell you any differently. Now, Professor Jerry Killeen, who we've had on the show many times, uh, has also been saying we need to follow what they did in Victoria. And I'm assuming, Jerry, follow what they did in Queensland to get control back and go to the way of life that they now have back in that part of the world. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, how are you, PJ? Good. Uh, Niall is adamant that it can be done. There are others who are adamant it can be done. You're suggesting now is the opportunity to do it. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, um, there's some things we have to do anyway right now. So it's just a matter of following through on them. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's much controversy about our need to, to get the ongoing surge under control. So, you know, if we're going to do that, uh, why not follow through and, and, and get out of this Whole mess. And I'm really glad to see some you know, realism um, at European level as well, because you know, the Australian states all work together under the umbrella of their their Commonwealth. Um, you know, and and we've got to do similar things. Um, you know, within our country with our neighbours, and it's going to have to be a cooperative effort. Um, and you know, I think now that kind of reality has bitten. Um, uh, it, it's a good time to discuss those things. And uh, as Niall says, you know, um, just just put aside the the idea that this is not possible, because it is. 
Why do they say it's not? I mean, we have a northern border, which is a problem. We have two jurisdictions on this island, and you have all the different 27 countries across the EQ, EU, and you've Britain who've just walked out of the EU in a huff. How could we possibly get border agreement? Um, well, these things are difficult. Um, you know, I, I listened in on Niall's um, talk about how exactly they did this in Australia. And, you know, one thing he said is anybody who says it's easy, you know, it certainly wasn't. They have huge dependencies on uh, people like seasonal fruit pickers. Um, you know, just ha- you know, half the country is run by people passing through Australia. You know, two weeks quarantine on the way in is, is um, you know, the same no matter which country you live in. And um, things were tough, um, have been tough in Australia throughout this whole thing. So, um, it's you know, these things are doable. But I, I guess we've just, we haven't been faced with choices like this for just, such a long time. It's hard to get your head around them. You know, I yeah, occasionally I have my own uh, moments where I've got to sit down and think it through and, you know, reassure myself, yes, this can be done. Uh, but, you know, I, I've been lucky enough that I've seen things that sounds similarly impossible done, you know, more than once, mm. uh, often in the face of my own pessimistic advice. So, um, so yeah, no, I think we've just got to kind of shift into um, a more positive gear and and get off the back foot. Yeah. You were commenting on the latest numbers uh, and you're concerned about them. Well, yeah, I mean... Um, a lot of these numbers are now starting to look like the kind of numbers I usually deal with. Um, you know, if you have a 6% positivity rate, uh, you know, that, that could be endemic malaria in rural uh, tropical Africa. Um, the, if you have a thousand, like um, 14-day incidence rate of, of, a, of, you know, almost 1% in somewhere like Cavan, I mean, that's a terrifying incidence rate. Um, and then you've got to look around Europe at you know some countries that are further along this trajectory that we are, and you can see you know where they are. And um, you know it's, it's not a not a place you want to go, and it's certainly not somewhere that those countries will be proceeding with. Um, you know they're going to be doing something about that. Like your own particular area of expertise, Jerry, as we've discussed before, is dealing with the likes of malaria in in Africa and how dangerous it can be if it gets out of control. Now, I suppose COVID nineteen and malaria they're they're two very very different things. But you're looking at how your expertise is how pathogens transmit themselves in the community, and, and you yeah. reckon there's a real danger there now. Oh yeah, absolutely, and you know. Um so there are some pathogens of the planet that we can't eliminate um, in, in many contexts. But when people can do, they do it. You know, they, um, there's no question about it. You know, Paraguay eliminated malaria a couple of years ago. That's, um, it's not an island. It's not a cold, dry place. It's not a very wealthy country. But they did that because they thought it was important enough. And, um, you know, we have the same opportunities here. And it's a tough gig, but the alternatives are, are pretty grim. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the incidence rates in our, our neighbour, the UK, uh, are, you know, if you extrapolate those out over a year, you get some really terrifying numbers. They're horrendous. So, and Spain yeah, and yeah, France, exactly. and so, they're, all, they're all really, really scary again. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, I, I'm not going to repeat some of the scary numbers that I've thrown at people in the past, but all I'll say is that, um, you know, we don't pick these numbers out of the sky. They come from data and the best evidence available. And 
and nobody wants to be battling this one for, you know, with the fingers crossed, hoping for yeah. a highly efficacious vaccine that has long-lasting effects against the coronavirus. So I, I think let's seize the opportunity. And, there seems to be a, a, a face set against it, though, in government. And I don't think Neffet are too impressed with the idea of driving for zero either. Yeah, well, um, they're going to have to get past that, I think. Um, and I think, you know, everybody's, you know, we all have, you know, we're all in the public domain. We've all, we're all saying things that are scrutinised by the entire public and all of our reputations on the line, and none of that matters. It just doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that we get our, our country and most of our normal life back and yeah. that, you know, and that Europe does the same and country by country we reopen and step by step. Yeah, um, you might have seen it this up. morning. It's it's in the papers and I think Emma Hodcraft, who we had on the show a few months ago, is commenting on it too. There's a, spur, a strain of the... COVID-19 that is coming from Spain, most likely from holidaymakers, and it's it's a problem, a problematic strain. Like, if we had shut borders and kept them shut over the last few months, we wouldn't have this problem. Is that, is that a valid argument? It would be, a, that would be a huge part of the solution. You know, you can't do it otherwise. You can't, uh, you can't fix a flooded sink with the tap still running. You know, you have to close those things off, and um, unfortunately, there's no other way around that. Uh, so, you know, I've seen, now we have case studies from here in Ireland with uh, some incoming tourists being responsible for you know, 56 uh, cases accounted for. So, so yeah, unfortunately, there's no there's no easier way around around this. And, um, yeah, we, we've just got to seize that. Okay. All right, Jerry. Thanks, as always, Professor uh, Jerry Killeen uh, at UCC. The people who laugh at the COVID zero tactic somehow I get an impression in me water and me water is rarely wrong that there's a bit of traction now being gained when you look at Australia and you look at New Zealand and when you look at how it's done and how it has been done and on the politics of it Niall Conroy addressed that as well and Jerry Killeen has addressed it before public health wise you couldn't do it and don't let anyone tell you you can't Politically, it's difficult. I did put that to Dr. Conroy too. What I would expect to see if I were living in Ireland and I, and, and I knew that technically this, this could be done, I, I would want to see some, some obvious efforts and negotiations with, 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 with politicians in the north and on the mainland UK trying to see is this, is this something we can come to an agreement on? The sort of idea that no, we just can't do it is, is a little defeatist. And, and I get normally these sort of cross-border things. I get how messy it is and how awful it is. I know people always call me naive for thinking we could come to a solution. But even if we couldn't, could we, could, could we try? Could we not just try? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Coming up, uh, a woman who took control of her life and reckons she has saved it. She went abroad for surgery a year ago and reckons it has been the saving of her. That's in just a sec. The poll we took as to whether people felt safe sending their children back to school on Monday. Across all our platforms, the average works out. 58% of you are okay with the idea of sending your children back on Monday. 42% no. Twitter was the tightest of all the platforms. Twitter was the tightest of all the platforms. But across all of Twitter... Dex and WhatsApp, we had 58% of opinion line listeners happy enough to send the children back on Monday morning. 1850-715-996. Leah Punch is from Mayfield. She has a son who's coming up for seven years of age. After he was born, she nearly died. She very nearly died. And in the years in between, then and now, she struggled desperately with her weight. And last year, she has took it upon herself to get out of Dodge, get surgery and get sorted. And sorted she is. And it's an interesting story that she has to tell. Leah, it's the first anniversary of the operation that changed your life. I'll, I'll go there in a minute. Um, let's go back, though, to what happened after Shay was born in 2013. Had you always struggled with your weight? Yeah, so I would have been overweight like since I was around, I'd say, six or seven years old. Um, so my mom would have noticed, you know, I started kind of gaining weight since a very young age. And I have two brothers and, like, I would have been, like, you know, given the same kind of food as they would have eaten. But I was the one to always gain weight, but I was always the one to kind of overeat then as well. Um, so it was kind of a long, it was all my life really, you know, back and forth, you know, to doctors and you know, I, my mum would have been worried about me even from a young age, as I said. So I've done, you know, milkshake diets even when I was like 10 and 11, you know, when I was getting more conscious of my weight. You, you tried everything, really, had you? Everything. And I suppose I was young at that time, you know, so it was, it was awful. You know, I couldn't control myself. Um, and then I kind of went on to teenage years. I actually was in FOSS in Mayfield in the training centre. I'd done a fitness course and I actually lost a bit of weight. I was doing very well. Yeah. Then I kind of hit 17. You know, you kind of start going out and you're getting takeaways. I was driving at the time and, you know, you'd be going to McDonald's and all these things. So that's when the weight kind of started creeping back in. Yeah. Um, 
So I would have always been, you know, on a diet. Um, and, like, I would have always hovered between, like, 15 and 17 stone. Like, that was my normal. And to be fair, I'd always, you know, get dressed up and do what I could do. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I was very conscious and I wanted to be healthy. Um, so then I ended up finding out on the Oct- October 2013, I was actually 26 weeks pregnant. You, you had no idea? No shock to the system, but sure. I got through it. Everything was fine. I didn't gain much weight, you know, through the pregnancy. Um, I had gestation diabetes, all right, so I can ask, you know. What, what's that? Uh, so basically, it's like diabetes, but it's pregnancy one. Um, a lot of women would get it, and you'd be higher risk to get it, like if you had extra weight. So that's probably why I got it. Right. So then Shay was born in the January, wasn't it? January, I was brought in to be induced because when you have um, diabetes, I was high risk and, you know, they don't need to go over your due date, whereas normally you can go nearly two weeks. So I was brought in on the day before my due date. So I spent like two days in labour and it ended up in an um, emergency C-section and he was born on the 31st of January. So I, he was put into Neo. I was, you know, a new mum. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. I was, you know, tired. I, you don't know how you're supposed to feel, I suppose, after a baby. You know, I was only 22. I just thought it was normal to feel this sore and tired. So I was discharged after four days, I think, anyway. And uh, when I got home, I just wasn't feeling right. Like, my breathing was kind of bad. I was very, very sore on my C-section. And my mum brought me to my own GP. And she kind of just gave me stronger painkillers just, you know, to try... um stop the kind of pain I had in my wound um, but then the next day my aunt said no I don't feel happy you know with your condition so I was brought back to the CUMH and there was a midwife there and she literally looked at me and she's like no something's not right here because my condition I was just deteriorating I was like waves of sickness one minute I was fine the next minute I could feel you know struggling like to breathe must have been very scary Leah do you know what now? It was absolute. I just didn't know how. It was It was the weirdest thing ever. You know, like at that age, you, you're not aware of these things. You know, you think going to have a baby, you know, you'd never think something like that could happen. But within 24 hours anyway, I needed to be admitted to ICU in, in this UH. Wow. Basically, my lungs are failing. I was septic and I had an infection called pseudomonas in my wounds. So that was a bit kind of overwhelming, you know, like... Obviously, I had to go in, you know, and I had to be put on a ventilator. I was in intensive care nearly a week. And were you aware of all of this as it was happening? Yeah, very, very aware. So that's kind of what was worse, I think, because they were trying to put me to sleep. Obviously, I needed to rest. Um, but I was like, you know, new mam mode. You want to be there for your baby. But I just couldn't switch off. So then they put me into actually a private room in the ICU, ICU you know, so that I have the doors are closed to try you know, less noise and stuff and um, that didn't even work like I, I was up texting the doctors off my phone like because I couldn't speak obviously because I had a ventilator they were giving me notebooks and all to write you know because I was I was very aware of what was going on and that was obviously worse because you know I was getting a lot of medication you know my body was like sweating you know over like changing medicines oh it was horrendous I was hallucinating like, what I, what I went through in the week in there was... And, just, and Leah, what, what was wrong with you? What had happened? You had all these different infections. Yeah, it was just an infection, really. So I just, yeah, I, I never got answers, being honest. 
I was unlucky one, I suppose. But um, and then you get, you were know. a month you were a month in the hospital. Yeah, so I would have been a week in intensive care. Then I was back in the high dependence unit on the maternity floor for another nearly week. I was brought back upstairs then into the CMH. Um, so I was let go home after four weeks in total, nearly. So when I got home, then that's when like everything just got worse. Yeah, because physically you had recovered from the infection well, and stuff. Kind of. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, it took months to recover from that, especially being in ICU alone. You know, my body went through an awful lot. Um, I, I, my wound was actually open for six months. In the end, I was back and forth to the hospital for nearly a year. Um, you know, just check up to make sure everything was all right. But like, I suffered severe postnatal depression. I suffered severe postmatic distress. Like, it was the worst time in my life. I was always a very strong person, you know. I suppose I was young. I didn't go through much hardship in my life, you know, by that age anyway. But like, you know, life is life. We all have bad times. But I had no control of how I felt. I never felt so low in my life. Like, I just had no control. So my family and they would have all looked after Shay for me because I couldn't mind my son. It was so sad, like, because you're supposed to love this baby instantly and I had no band. Like, it took me nearly a year before, you know, that he actually felt mine. Yeah. As bad as that sounds, but actually that's all kind of signs of postnatal depression, you know, and all that as well. Um, So, like, I didn't get any kind of help, but... I knew I'd manage eventually, but I suffered alone, you know, a lot. Like. What happened then, I think, was that the weight got worse and worse and worse. Twelve months after Shay was born, I ballooned to nearly 22 stone. So, my, as I said, I would have always, you know, been a binge kind of eater as a child. Food was my thing. So, I had no control of myself. I, I didn't leave the house much. I literally would only leave to go in town maybe to get baby food or clothes. Or if I went out there, the odd Saturday night, you know, with my friends and stuff. So, like, I ate, like, all the time. All wrong things, ordering pizzas, middle of the night, you know, just stuff I shouldn't have been doing. So, I would have, after he was one, then I was like, right, I need to cast myself on. Yeah, just just before we talk about that, because you did try, you tried you tried everything, but this is going to sound like an awful daft question, forgive me. What's it like, what does it feel like to be 22 stone and not want to be? It, it was horrendous, like, you know, it's, no one can understand how I feel, like, if, if you see me out, people like, oh, you're grand though, you know, but like, it, I wasn't really... Like, I couldn't walk across the road to the shop, like, you know, without literally gasping for air. Couldn't even plan my own socks, barely. Couldn't even tie a shoe. Like, if you can't tie your shoe, there's something wrong, you know, at that age anyway. Like, a simple task of getting out of the bed, trying to do normal things that what everyone else just does, you know. It's very hard, like, and constantly sweating. It's just not nice. Yeah, and you tried. You tried everything. You went to Slim and World, and it all worked for a while. Yeah, like my my thing is portion control, like size. I'm never satisfied. Like I could eat, I would eat what like my dad would eat. You know, and that's a man. Like that's not normal. Like I'm five foot. I'm a small girl, really. You know, but my brain, I was never satisfied. So I could never control that. That you know, part of it. Um. So, like, I actually went to my doctor when Shay was two and asked me, I wanted help, like, I'm like, I'm after struggling all my life, you know, I need, I know I need something because I can't lose this weight. 
Um, so I waited nearly three years for an appointment in the Waste Man- Management Clinic in Dublin. So while I was waiting for that appointment, I've done person training similar every year, and I'd lose two stone, gain back three, lose three, gain back two. You know, so I was trying while waiting for that appointment because I knew they'd be asking for proof, you know, anyway. Um, so I did try, and I got my appointment March 2019, went up to Dublin. My friend came with me. I was put into a room with, like, 30 people. We were all obese. Uh, very kind of surreal, actually, you know, all these big chairs. And it was actually, it was a nice, like, I was like, I'm only, you know, that, what age was I last year? 27. I was like, this is not, like, my life, you know. Um, but basically, you'd have to travel up and down to Dublin for a year, uh, see psychologists and all this before they decide, which is very understandable because weight loss surgery isn't for everyone. But then I got disheartened because I was like, I'm not doing this to myself, you know. And when I say turn around and say, Okay, Leah, we think you're suitable for surgery. Then there's another waiting list up to four to six years. So, like, that's literally 10 years of my life. You know, like, I could actually be dead. So, you decided in the end to take control of it yourself. Why Lithuania and, and how did you find out about it? So, I obviously was like, the clinic Dublin is obviously not happening. I can't wait that long. I was like, I can't. So, I said, I'll try once more to lose weight and I'll try it. I end up gaining weight. And I was sitting down, it was last summer, July 2019, four months after going to the appointment. And I was like, I can't do this no more. It was roast and hot. I was sitting there with a t-shirt, a long t-shirt on, just like literally ballooning on the chair, like, you know, panning out. And I haven't even, even left the house, you know, even just the heat alone. I was sweating, sitting down. Um, I was like, I can't do this no more. And I can't afford to get it done in Ireland. You know, it's over 16,000 euro. Um, I don't have that kind of money like so I started just googling um, but, uh, weight loss surgery I didn't even know what I needed or wanted so I found Lithuania and there was like a private group page on Facebook so I joined the page and I literally like stalked the page and you know was trying to get reach out to anyone that would give me information um, and to be fair a lot of people did come back you know um, to reassure me and like Instagram was another thing I was just kind of honed in Instagram yeah um, you know because it's like I don't know what I was kind of getting into either you know um, but so I literally I just went with it like I contacted them we had to do back and forth you know my health and everything but I'm actually healthy thank God so I just booked for October 2019 so myself my mum we flew Dublin to Canoose Um and I got picked up by the clinic, brought to my hotel, and I got the surgery done. And to be fair, it was absolutely brilliant. The care we got was something else. So what did they um, do? What What's the surgery you had? So I got the gastric bypass. So there's the band, there's the sleeve, there's all different types, and I got the bypass. The bypass is the most severe. So like, you, you have a tiny appetite, I think, as a result of that. Tiny. Like, for the first few weeks, like, when I got home, like, you're on liquids, and then you want mushy food. So you're like a newborn baby, basically. Like, I was eating, such, like, for the first, I'd say, two, three months, I was on very little food, like, maybe five bites of a dinner. Like, that's it. And I'm stuffed. But, like, now I am a year out, and I eat, like, three meals a day, and, like, two snacks. And, like, my cereal could be, like, maybe half a bowl of cereal um, and a bit of milk. My lunches in it kind of get Caesar salads or, like, a tuna salad or anything like that. And any dinner, like, I eat. I actually enjoy eating healthy anyway. Um, 
you know, so, but I'm absolutely stuffed. I still, it's just, it's mind blown, like the, you know, the how little my portions are. How how quickly did the weight start to fall off, Leah? Instantly, really. Like I, in the first week, I lost a stone nearly. Um, in a week. So, like, yeah, that's because obviously you're on literally only water nearly for the first week. Um, so then it kind of my average was like three to four pound a week. Um, and I actually lost nearly. I don't think I. I didn't. I lost every week. I think for a full year. Um, so. So how much have you lost since last October? This is the end of this October. How much have you lost? Nine stone two pound from the day of surgery till the, till my one year. My wow. one year was the sixteenth of October. So I was down a stone and a half. Then myself from my heaviest. So like I'm actually like ten and a half stone down, like from my heaviest. Hang on, isn't that the date they first told you you were pregnant? Yeah, and I, that's actually a coincidence. Like, it was, I only thought of that because I actually done a video. I actually done a video with Fionn um, just for my for myself. And I, I share everything on my Instagram. I just thought it would be nice, you know, for people to actually see my story. You know, the way my, it might just look like I was overweight and, you know, got this done. There's more to it, you know. So I got a little video done, which I shared on my Instagram and Facebook and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, was, I only realized that day that I was actually... The same day I found out I was pregnant on my son. So, what, what, what have you learned from this? It's, it's kind of a crazy question, but there you are a year ago, off to Lithuania, off to the unknown, probably terrified. Now all that weight is gone. You still have to work to keep it off. What's your relationship like now with Shay, say? Like, my whole life has done a 360, like, you know. Um, it's absolutely, I, I'm so happy, like, you cannot burst my bubble, like, that's the Mark saying, like, in the world pandemic, I've been the happiest I've ever been, and I can't go outside the door, <laughs> you know, just all our lives, like, you know, it's just, I'm just so happy, I'm, I can just get up and go out, I don't have to double think, you know, or, oh, if I go here now, you know, I was always, I always had to plan ahead, you know, yeah. oh, if I go there now, I won't be able to walk that much now, because, you know, I wouldn't have been able. And and is is the depression gone, or do you still have bad days? No, I'm actually flying. <laughs> I'm very very happy. Um, the like the minute I got surgery done afterwards, all right, the first few weeks I did have bad days. It's not easy. It's not an easy operation, you know. Like I missed food, um, you know. But I said to myself, like I I went to psychologist like after she was born. And, you know, I didn't really need to go anymore. But, like, if I, if I felt I was struggling, I'd have no shame in going back to them, you know, and try to figure out something. Or I was actually even thinking over it an ominous or something, you know. Clearly you desperately did need help. And, and you went out and you took control and, and you got help. You, you talk in your video about it being a turning point. You're big on turning points. Now, you believe in turning points. Yeah, like I really genuinely believe if you if you're very positive and you get you know if you do positive things in your life, like you get it back. You know, I'm I'm a true believer. Like if someone told me this time last year, like these like what would happen this year, I'd never believe it. Like I actually got a house as well in August, oh, a, a beautiful apartment. Um, like I was six and a half years on the waiting list. Not very long compared to some people, but you know. I was sharing a room at home, like our house is small, our family home. Like I, like that was just a stepping stone, you know. After losing the weight, getting a house, and like I, you know, I just feel I was just so positive. Everything attracted to me, and like I share everything on my Instagram. I'm giving the world like 
you know, everything. All I share on my loose skin. I share everything and I just, I try to help as many people as I can because I've been there. I've struggled. Like, I have, I've, I've been very, very low in my life and, like, if I can change my life, anybody can. We just have to find it in you, you know, to just be like, right, I need to take control. We're all, you know, we all need to take control of your own li- our own lives. You're not going to get something if you're not going to work for it either. So, I don't know, I just, I just think I'm very positive now at the moment and I just couldn't be happier. Looking back at the bad old days, do you regret not doing this before or, or was it not the time? Well, that's what I said to my mom. I was like, I wish I'd done it sooner. And then I was like, no, I wouldn't have been ready. I, I needed to go through what I went through to get where I am, I think. You know, I'm a, I'm a true believer of that as well. You know, I could have easily went down the way I was going on and had no quality of life. And, like, it was only a matter of time before I ran into health conditions, you know, and I, my body wouldn't have survived and I would have been dead young and that's the bottom line. I would not have been, you know, lived a long life. And I hope I do get to live that bit longer now, you know, that I'm after losing the weight. And all I want to be is just healthy and just live your life, you know, live our lives, like, and do our best. How happy is Shay to have a mum that can finally play ball with him and run around with him? I know, he's delighted, I suppose. I'm quite, it's all up in the air now at the moment because we're, you know, stuck in. But I can't wait to get to Spain now, please God, next year. And, you know throw on my swimming togs and run around the pool and don't be, you know, covering up and be worried what other people are saying, oh, you know, look at her, you know. Like, that was reality. Like, people did look at me, you know. When they look at you now, Leah, to see what you've achieved, that's a whole different way of looking at you, isn't it? Yeah, I know. And, you know, it's just it's just mental, really. I'm just, I'm very proud of myself, actually, being honest. <laughs> so you should be. And, like, I've done it on my own, like, you know, and that's the thing sometimes, I think, when we go abroad for these surgeries, and that's, like, it's a very scary thing to do, and we don't have the support here. And you can understand, because you don't know where we're going, you know, the doctors don't. But like, I think there should definitely be some bit of a support system, you know. Um, like, my GPs were 100% uh, against me going, um, but, like, I've done this for me. For anybody, Leah, who might be listening and, and struggling with their own weight and struggling with a problem like you had, what would you say to them? Well, like, definitely reach out to someone. Um, I have an Instagram page, Bypass by Leah, if anyone ever did want to have a chat. Um, I do have a lot of people approaching me, you know, just like, what was your final, you know, why did you go for it and all that. But, like, go to your doctor. Like, you know, there is, uh, I know the wait is there long, but, like, I suppose... You can get it done on VHI and your private health insurance well in some cases, which isn't easy. But, you know, some people don't even know this. Um, like, there is, you can change. As hard as you think it is, you know, you can change. And, like, I I had post, you know, traumatic stress. So if anyone was suffering, you know, with that, like, your doctors are there for, and there is help. Some people don't, you know, they don't feel comfortable, but you should never suffer alone, you know. Um and there's help there for everyone. But I think sometimes you need to find that person that will help you or get the help, if that makes sense. Well, you did that, and you had to go a long distance for it, but it was worth it all in the end. Leah, good luck, and thanks for talking to me. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. That's uh, Leah Punch from Mayfield. Extraordinary story of how she's turned her life around, and we, we wish her well. 1850 715 996 
Coming up next, a doctor who says that he is seeing a huge increase in the number of people coming to him just mentally battered from this pandemic. Just battered. He's a doctor you know from the telly. Talk to him next. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork Opera House has announced its upcoming winter programme with a number of great shows coming up between the end of October and New Year's Eve. The programme features some of Cork's best-known artists including Mick Flannery and Magella Culla, while the annual Christmas concert will also be streamed online. Access all areas. While we wait for Cork's venues to open again, you can catch up on two of Triscoll's music series from the first lockdown. At Home with Triscoll featuring classical musicians and singer-songwriters and Piece by Piece featuring solo performances from some of Ireland's leading jazz improvisers. Go to triscollartscentre.ie for more details. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 7159 On Cork's 96FM. There's a new campaign started called. Mind Your Mates. Now, it's sponsored by Zen Floor, which is a health product. But it's a, it's a drive to encourage people to stay connected with each other during this time of restrictions and lockdown and level five and, and all that. Stay connected. Reach out in whatever way you can. You can't go to see people. You can't visit people. You can't go out to the pub. You can't go out to the restaurant. But we can still... Stay together. Keep connected. Keep ourselves connected with those close to us. A few people behind it, one of them being Dr. Philip Kieran, who you'll know from the TV. He was on that marvellous uh, Terence McSweeney documentary uh, last week, and he's also been on, of course, You Really Should See a Doctor. But he said that there's so many people coming to him now, just tired, bet down, and bunched by this pandemic and, and the implications of it and the changes they've had to make in, in their lives. Philip, good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. It is a thing, isn't it? I mean, throughout this last six or seven or eight months, it's dominated our show day in, day out. My saviour has been music and crap television and the odd good book. But I have tried to keep in touch with my friends, even at the toughest of times. We have to do that. I think it's really key now now more than ever um, because it's very easy to, to get tunnel vision to see what do you need to get done for yourself at the moment, how can you keep yourself safe, how can you comply with the new restrictions and staying even abreast with the new restrictions. It's very easy to forget that there are other people that you would usually even just make casual contact with and that interaction with other people actually plays a key role in keeping us all mentally healthy and sane. Like if you're walking up the street or you pop down to the shop or pop in for a pint or something, do you know, you'll find some fella that you, ah, you know him, there's there's Joey from yeah. over the road. How's the wife? Did, did that young one get the job? Those simple conversations, they're part mm. of who we are and we're missing them. 
We are, we are. And and even sort of the stuff you might nip out and meet one friend for coffee and he says, Eric, do you know who's around actually as well is John. We'll bring John along. And you might have not thought to contact John, but you would talk to him once a week, once every fortnight. And maybe now is the time to reach out and just give him a bell, you know, see how he's doing, yeah. see if there's anything you can do. Now, are you, say, are you seeing, you are hearing people saying, I can't hack it, are you? I'll, a lot. I, I suppose at this time of the year, anyway, we would see. I would see an increase in people who are stressed and anxious and feeling a bit low. Um, what I've noticed is that the the rates of that have increased this year compared to other years. I'd say I'm seeing levels that I would usually only see towards the end of the winter, maybe February or early March. I'm seeing that now in in mid October. So mm. I, I feel the dark weather, the fact that we're into another lockdown, people are much more stressed, much more anxious, much more tired. And they're finding that this constant pressure that you feel from this pandemic, because as you said, it's dominating conversation, it's dominating the news cycle. You can't get away from it very easily. And people are becoming very worn down, very ground down and tired. Yeah. You have to try and get away from it every day. Switch the television off, turn on music, read something completely unconnected. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? There is. I suppose those things are very key, is taking some downtime, getting away from it all, not obsessing about it continuously. The other things you can do to help yourself is to eat a healthy diet. So I know a lot of us were guilty, myself included, I packed on a couple of COVID kilos in the first lockdown from eating a lot of comfort food, a lot of junk food. Um, and that coupled with less exercise didn't, didn't leave me feeling any better. So eating healthy, eating a healthy diet, making sure that you get enough fruit and veg into your diet, and then getting regular exercise. So I say to people, try and get out every day. Do you know, if there's a bit of, if there's, if there's a glimmer of sunshine and you can get out for a bit of a walk in it, go for a walk. Or if you prefer running or go, go and do something, do you know, mm. go and spend some time outdoors, not staring at the same four walls, getting upset about how little freedom you now have. Mm. Are you a believer, Philip, in SAD, Season Affective Disorder? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's a fairly well-established diagnosis at this stage. Um, and for people who do have a definitive diagnosis of seasonal affective disorder, I often recommend um, a, a sad lamp, a seasonal affective disorder lamp, um, which can be quite effective. And then the key things really from that, again, are maintaining a healthy diet and getting some regular exercise. Yeah. No, I was thinking make- in terms of people who... And I've said this before, and I wouldn't be an SAD case or anything, but I've said before, mm. I despise the months of winter. My yeah. body despises, my mind despises the months of winter. That on top of a, of a lockdown or a set of restrictions, it's a pain in the neck. How do we get, how do we cope? How do we deal with it? Well, so it's interesting because I, I, would, have, I would have felt very similar to yourself. I would have found the months of sort of December, January, February very grey and the, the, the sky is very low and overcast and it's damp all of the time. One of the ways of managing it, one of the recommended medical ways of managing it is actually to look at booking a, a, a holiday, which is, you know, great advice in every time except now. You can't fly so now. You can't do anything. Um, so what you need to do is, one of the key things is getting exposure to a high-intensity light source. So this is where seasonal affective disorder lamps work. But if you don't have one of them, getting out at midday, the sun is actually quite bright in Ireland. If you can get out for a walk around your lunch break, spend some time in the sun, in the sunlight. Even if it's an overcast day, it still tends to be pretty bright. So if you can get some exposure, it's very easy for people to fall into the, the, the trap 
of going to work in the dark, having their lunch in a dark or artificially lit room and then leaving work in the dark again. You can go months without seeing sunlight in Ireland if, if you're not active about trying to seek it. So trying to get some time and then planning for the future. I know that's difficult at the moment, but this will be over. Think about the things that you miss at the moment and think about how much you'll enjoy them when we do get back to them. Yeah. And that can really help. There was a thing at the start of it all where people were posting pictures of their favourite places in the world and when they might get back there, trying to put a little injection of positivity into it. it. And then you look and you go, isn't that silly? But it's not silly. No, we need to have something positive to look forward to. I suppose it can be detrimental if you start obsessing about the fact that you can't do it. Yes. But that's a mindset side of things. So what you need to do is Take, it, take the, the pleasure that you can out of it. Remember a nice memory of being in that place and look forward to doing it again in the future. We are all in this together at the moment, even on the day oh, when that's, we feel that's like getting very to, alone. See, there's another thing, Philip. That is getting to sound like such a flipping cliche. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. It? Particularly when you hear people breaking the rules. Yeah. But bear in mind, the cases that we're hearing about are the rarities. You know, what you're not hearing about is you, you hear about the people who are not breaking, who are, who are breaking the rules. You don't hear about the thousands of people who are knuckling down and doing their best like the rest of us. So we are doing this. It's easier for some, as I was thinking myself earlier, at least I've never had to worry about my job during yeah. all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of people not as lucky as me in that situation. So we're not all doing the exact same thing, but we are all heading in the same direction. Mm. And I suppose we will come out the far side of this. And that's the important thing to remember. To wrap up in one minute, um, mm. three things we could all do that preferably don't cost anything that will help get us through this. Try to eat healthy. Make sure you get some veg in every day. Get out for a walk, ideally during daylight hours. But if you can't get out during daylight, get out for a walk at some stage and pick up the phone and ring someone. Yeah. Ring a friend. Talk to someone you haven't mm. talked to in a while. They may they may be desperate for that phone call. It might be the only the only contact they've had with the outside world yeah. for either of you for the day. Listen, thanks always. I, I told my, my, my wife this morning that um that I had Dr. Phil on the show. She's <laughs> gonna think I'm such a fraud now. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of myself as the other, the not famous Dr. Phil. <laughs> the one that makes sense. But let's not go there. <laughs> Thanks as always. Thanks, you, David. See you. That's Dr. Philip Kieran, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six from RTEs. You really should see a doctor. You really should try and get yourself through this. Can I make a little recommendation? I'm being bold now. I talked about music. I've put together a Spotify playlist of all my years on the DJ scene, seeing as it's been so flat the last year and a bit. It's called PJ Coogan's Glory Days on Spotify. Press shuffle and enjoy. That's a shameless plug for my hobby. All right? Killed now. 1850 Coming up after 11 o'clock, we will be remembering Christy Ring on what would have been his 100th birthday. And if he's up yet, uh, the bridegroom who got married only yesterday. I, I happened to say earlier this week, I thought getting married in level five would be as, about as much fun as a flat point. We'll find out was I right or wrong. That's all to come on Cork's 96 FM. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. And blue moon at the weekend, eh? <laughs> a few of us want to go out and howl at it, I'd say. 
1850 is the number. The text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Good to see some follow up uh, in court to that awful attack on the pensioner at, at the weekend. I'd seen some video footage. Uh, really? Ah, oh, horrible. Horrible. Just glad to know that something's happening about it anyway, which is good to see the wheels of justice turning. Leah, great response to Leah. A lot of people very enthused about Leah's story. Uh, Catherine has a word of, I suppose, advice rather than warning, though. She said, I had the same operation done in the Bonds in Cork 10 years ago with Mr. O'Boyle. It was the best decision I ever made. The only thing I'd say to Leah is between three or four years from now, you can start to gain weight again. You never think of it, but it will happen. I now watch my weight like a normal person and I'm determined not to let it go back on. I think, Catherine, she's been told about that because what happens is your your body becomes used to the adjustment. Your appetite becomes used to the adjustment and, and you physically start to eat heavily again. So you have to mind yourself. Fair play to that girl. This is this message. I'm a coach and a personal trainer. I work with people with weight issues. It's hard and people can't be stigmatized by being obese or being overweight. Most of the time, it's not a simple issue. I wouldn't recommend surgery because, first, I'm not a doctor. What I know from all my clients is it's not a quick fix. And consistency over years is the key to weight loss. I guess it's whatever works for you, whatever you feel might work for you. 1850-715-996. Just on the subject of the penny dinners, Cove Ramblers are having a food appeal for penny dinners tomorrow at the club shop. It's in Coleman's Park between 1 and 3. Drop off the food that you want to bring, but please obey social distancing guidelines. And we were talking earlier in the week to Katrina from Penny Dinners, and we've decided we'll put our weight, such as we have it, behind her with trying to deliver this miracle on Little Hanover Street for Christmas Day. She basically wants to make Little Hanover Street into an outdoor restaurant for Christmas Day so that she can serve penny dinners, Christmas dinner to all the people that use the service and have used the service throughout the year. Anyone who needs a meal, a hot meal Christmas Day will get one if if she has the power to do it. And the wheels are rolling in the background. Things are starting to fall into place. I hope to talk to some more people quietly over the weekend to see how it's going. We'll catch up. There's just a chance. There's a chance that we can make it happen working with Katrina over the next few weeks. So we'll keep you posted on that. 1850-715-996. I spoke to my next guest a, a year or two ago on the show and I said to him he had a book in him. Indeed he has, and many books probably, but uh, the latest one has been a bit sort of tied up by COVID-19 in that he didn't get an opportunity to launch it. And if we're talking a lot today about trying to motivate yourself and trying to get yourself through these rough old times. So it might be a good opportunity to bring on Enda O'Doherty. The book is about being positive and, and getting yourself through rough times because, Enda, it's about your own rough times. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Good to talk to you. It's called I'm Fine. I apologies <laughs> to the Cork accent. I'm Fine Like. Thoughts on life, addiction, <laughs> love and health. You wanted to launch it, but you couldn't. So hence yeah. you're here. What's it about? Well, 
well, PJ, you know, I, we initially were heading for 700 for for a launch, and I went to 650 to 150 to 50 to zero to the bookshops were closed. But, uh, you know, someone said to me yesterday, the book cover is, um, it's an ideal book cover for radio because the title is I'm Fine with an exclamation mark and underneath it is a picture of me screaming and I'm clearly not fine. And I suppose the, the crux of the book, exactly as you, you said there, you know, that so many t- people are under pressure at the moment. So many people say, you know, how are you getting on? People say, I'm fine or I'm grand. And the truth is that they're struggling. You know, I was listening to your piece there with Dr. Philip, and, and it's so true. Like, I think there's a tidal wave of mental health issues about to hit Ireland because so many people are experiencing anxiety, depression. So many people are, are using alcohol to escape, you know, the feelings of anxiety and pressure we're under. And, uh, you know, I think it's a conversation, we, you know, we need to have as, as a country that we need to say, look, in, in previous times, we brushed this under the table and, you know, we dealt with it by letting people take their own lives. And we're, we're a better country and it's a better place now and we need to talk about it. So I suppose while the book is about, um, you know, the, the subtitle is Thoughts on Life, Addiction, Love and Health. Um, it is about mental health, but it is uh, funny, upbeat, uplifting, smiley. It's it's the book. Do you know when you're do you know when you're reading um, a book, PJ, with a cup of tea and a biscuit? I want you to have to put the biscuit and the tea down because you're laughing so hard at some of the stuff that I did or is in it. Because the book is about you. It's uh, you're a motivational speaker these days, and many other things like that. But you weren't always. You were a kind of a broken fella a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you know, for anyone listening to this, and I'm sure you have listeners this morning who are on their own or in a crowd and still on their own in their own thoughts and, and feeling bad and feeling in a dark place. Um, you know, at my lowest, I was drinking four bottles of whiskey a week. Um, you know, in the old, I'm a big fan of rugby, and, and on the Friday night, the old Celtic League, I used to sit down and my drink was a pint glass of vodka, and it got to a point that uh, a pint glass of vodka wasn't giving me the kick I needed, and I, I'd often drink a bottle of cough syrup with that. Um, saying that to you now, it's it's bizarre. You know, it's like it's it's like a different person. Um, you know, I told someone there recently that my my wife would. Um, do you know the good old days when you had to smuggle the wine back in through Ross Lair or Ring of Skiddy yeah. into, into? I had a garden shed that was you know full to the roof, like everyone. You know, we bought the cheap wine in France. But I, I can remember my wife would send me to the shed, Peach, and she said, "Go out and get a bottle of Chianti or whatever her her favourite one was." And um, I go to the shed, but when I was in the shed, the first thing I do was open a bottle. I'd knock it on my head, a bottle of wine in 30 seconds. And Dead I'd bring off. the real bottle in. Yeah. How could you yeah. stand up after that? I mean, I like a glass of wine myself and I've been, yeah. I've been known to polish off half a yeah. bottle in an evening, but to, well, your, suppose, to your head? I suppose for anyone who's been an addict or, you know, has lived with someone who's suffering from addiction, it doesn't always make sense. I mean, now I know it's absolutely crazy. Um, I suppose the key to addiction is, is, is deception too, in that I would have gone into the house, poured a glass of wine, my wife would say, will you have a second glass? And I'd say, no, I'm grand tonight. You know, but I, I had already had that. Um, so that volume of alcohol, you know, I, I I had suicidal thoughts when I stopped drinking. I was in a very, very bad place. But the thing, you know, that the whole theme of the book is this, Peach, is that, you know, I'm sitting here today talking to you. I've been out for a run. I'm only regretting that I didn't uh, know about Glory Days before I went out because I would have thrown on Glory Days on the headsets <laughs> there and listened to it. But I went out for a run by the river where I live in beautiful leaves, beautiful sunshine this morning here in Watford. And, um, you know, I rang someone I care about and told them I loved them. I was up, you know, at half five and I, you know, took some some yoga, read a book. Like, I fight like hell for my happiness now because now that I have it, I value it, you know. And um, How did you get you told, it back? How did you get it back? How did you start to get it back? Because there are people struggling yeah, hard at the moment. Yeah. How do you start? You know, to get- well, you know, a lot of people, like, I mean, 
you know, when people read this story and they read, like, I, 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 to raise funds for mental health charities and to open the conversation about suicide and, and depression, um, I, I, I carried a washing machine on my back for nine marathons in eight days. I walked from Belfast to Watford carrying a washing machine. And I, and I also carried the same washing machine to almost the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Now, it was, it was, <laughs> I have to catch myself laughing when I'm saying it to you. But the thing about that, the, the message, PJ, was a really simple, powerful message. It was I was carrying a ridiculous, stupid thing around. I was carrying a huge load. And my message to people in this book and in life is that if you're under pressure, if you're struggling, share the load, ask for help in any shape or form. Talk to someone, ring a helpline, you know, go onto a website, talk to someone you care about and tell them how you're feeling because it's so important that you share the load because, you know, we're, we're talking about COVID and it's dangerous and it's it's an awful situation that we're facing as a country financially and emotionally. But what people aren't saying at the moment is that eight to 10 people in Ireland will lose their lives to suicide this week. And that number has continued for year upon year upon year. And it, it's, I think it's time that we people did share the load. They put that load down. I suppose the, the secondary message with my washing machine was, you know, if you look out in, in, in production there and you look in at Fergal or you look at the staff around you in the building today, you know, people will smile, people will put the best front on, but very often people can be really, really struggling. And we all have a responsibility, you know, to, to make that phone call or make that text and say to someone, you know, are you OK? Are you really OK? You know, mm. um, it's very hard at the moment. You're like, Jesus, I'm the world's biggest hugger. I, if I met you, PJ, and when I, when I do meet you, we will have a ginormous man hug. I love an out hug and I love a good firm handshake. Um, but that distance is, is, is impacting me. Um, not spending time with good people and being around people is hard. But I think you hit the nail on the head there a few minutes ago. You know, we have to make those phone calls and make the text. And I'm not a big fan of Zoom, but it's better than being on my own. You know, it's, it's, it's something we have to do at the moment to look after our mental health. Um, I think for me, you know, my mental health, and, and, and I always say to people, your mental health is so important. It's so valuable. You know, you shouldn't take your happiness for granted and hope that things go well. You know, you should actively pursue activities and people and things that are going to make you feel good because it's it, it's vital, vital to your, to your existence, you know. Stories like yours remind me of an old picture from my physics class. <laughs> go on. Of a fulcrum. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and in the middle of it is a is a point. I'm even drawing one here. Nolly Brett did this with me in physics years ago in Cree Street. Right. There's a point at which, or maybe a moment at which, you realised it's it's do something or I'm busted. Can we yeah. go to that moment, Enda? Because here you are now, full of the joys of life, <laughs> and you were also a hopeless addict, if you don't mind my saying so. Absolutely. Where in between came the moment and how did it come? Well, you know, people people often speak about hitting rock bottom and this tra- awful, tragic moment. I suppose m- my story was slightly different in that um, I was played I played a, a tennis match very late one night under lights, came home, was very stressed and, you know, loads of anxiety and, and adrenaline. And I poured myself a ginormous glass of brandy and milk because I had read somewhere that, you know, Brendan Bean used to drink it. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So... Um, but that night I had an awful night's sleep. And, and the next morning, PJ, my, my wife said to me, I said to my wife, I said, look, I'm done drinking. I've, I had such a bad night's sleep. And I knew I had a problem, you know. And she she used a lovely tone of voice that I think only married men can hear this or people in relationships. She said, oh, that's great, love, are you? And when I heard that, I knew, you know, she believed I honestly couldn't. And uh, I said, well, watch. And I started that day, um, it's almost 12 years ago, on the 10th of November, it'll be 12 years ago. And... 
um, I didn't have a drink since. Now, the funny thing was, my real rock bottom happened in reverse because once I stopped drinking, like a lot of people listening this morning, you know, medicate with alcohol. So I had depression, I had anxiety, I had sleep disorder, I had panic attacks. But all of those were suppressed because I was drinking so much alcohol. And of course, when I did stop drinking, to be honest, that's when the wheels came off. You know, I I clearly remember sitting in my bathroom um, at four in the morning, looking out the window, waiting for the sun to rise because um, that's when my demons would leave me. That's when I could put on a suit and tie and go to work and smile and pretend like the book cover says I'm fine, you know. Um, when 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 I approached um, when I approached Red Stipe Press, uh, who who published this and who, who you can buy it from them online, when I approached them with the idea, you know, they we had a very very long chat, and I, I said, look, this this book, you know, it's really important, and and then I could see them looking at me going, I'm sure every author says that, and I said, look, I wanted to dedicate this book to anyone who's lost family or friends uh, to suicide. And I also want to dedicate the book to, you know, someone who's listening this morning or someone who walks into a bookshop, picks up this book and thinks, I, I can't, I can't keep going. I can't get through this. And I want to dedicate it to them and to tell them that, you know, behind the darkest, darkest clouds, I promise you there's sunshine. There's, you know, there's always a way out. There's always goodness. You know, at, at the end of, of, of lockdown one, I was really lucky, uh, PJ, to come down and I had the best bloody holiday in Cork. I was down in, in, in the team in the Metropole. And to see the energy and the fight they were putting in as a business in Cork to get through COVID was just outstanding. Outstanding people. And, and um, I'll definitely be buying my, my Christmas voucher for friends in Cork from them. But even to hear you there talking about Katrina and the magic of wanting to feed people on Christmas Day and overcoming COVID, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's all those inspiring. Little, all and those little dreams are huge things. You mentioned huge. the dark and, and the dawn coming. And, and yeah. it's coming up a lot that this particular lockdown is harder and going to be harder because we don't have, and we had, a beautiful spring. Magpies yeah. as big as bowling <laughs> yeah. balls to watch out the window. It was beautiful. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Now... We're coming into the dark, the dull, the cold, awful days. There's more darkness. Darkness was your demon. There's more of it now. So how do we, how do we cope with, like me, for example, I hate the dark winter. I just, yeah. I, just I, I don't get depressed or anything. I just hate it. How do we, how do we deal with that? Well, I suppose. Look, I I ran the, the the you know the book originally. I wanted to call it Adventures of a Washing Machine, but I was afraid people might think it was a different kind of book. So, and there's far more in it than the two adventures with my washing machine. But like what I what I always say to people is like, you know, what I did was extreme to inspire people and and to get you know funds for mental health charities. But you don't have to do huge things to make changes in your life. You know, I mean, you know, somebody said would say to me, God, you've done Iron Man and Iron Man Sweden, Iron Man UK. God, I'd never do that. And not every is meant to do that but if your Ironman if your Kilimanjaro is 5k or 2k you go after that and you do it and when you've achieved it you go after your 3k or your 4k you know the small practical things PJ like I have pillars that I write about in the book in my life like I get up at the crack of dawn every morning um, the reason being that it means I don't need a sleeping tablet tonight um, you know, I don't go near social media or my phone for about an hour before I go to sleep so that my brain is calmer and I sleep better, you know. Um, I make sure whether I want to or not, like I really didn't feel like going exercising this morning. My gym is closed and I'm missing my friends and the coffee and the crack in the gym. But I got up and I went and I ran for 40 minutes because I know that's going to make me feel ha- happier. I think anyone who's lost their happiness is conscious, you know, and I've written about it in the book that, 
you know, there are practical things you can do to ensure that you look after your mental health. You know, there was a, a, a cynical old journalist asked me the other day, PJ, he says, what was your greatest achievement in life? And, and he thought I was going to say, you know, climbing Kilimanjaro with a washing machine or something like that. And, and the answer came out and it was the truth. I said to him, my greatest achievement was to surround myself with great people people who are positive, happy, people who lift me and inspire me. And, you know, if, if, if as Dr. Philip was saying there, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you the non-medical version of what he was talking about, food there. If you eat junk, you'll feel junk. You know, if you eat rubbish, you'll feel rubbish. Mm. Um, if you exercise, if you sleep, um, like I'm laughing, you're talking about Glory Days, the playlist, like I could not live without music. You know, I, I use music to relax me in the evening. I used music a little while ago there to make me run faster. Uh, when we're finished talking, I have to do some writing here and I'll use music to calm me and focus my brain. But it's, it's about realising what your triggers are, you know, what will cause you anxiety and stress. And it's also realising that you're like, you know, you're a master of your own destiny. You're in control of your happiness. You're in control of your mm. world. Like, I can't stop covid I cannot control it. I can wash my hands and I can social distance and follow the regulations. But I can control how I view it and I can control, you know, its impact on me. PJ, this is an awful thing to say on ra- on radio now, but um, somebody said to me the other day, God, how do you cope with all the anxiety and around COVID, you know? And I said to this person, I said, you know, um, I said, yourself, this, this lady was married to a guy called John. And I said, if yourself and John sat down and watched it, we'd call it a romantic movie. I said, would you be surprised if it elicited chemical and physical reactions in both of you? And she started laughing and she said, oh, Jesus, probably. Yeah, why? And I said, well, why if why are you surprised that you feel highly anxious if you're spending hour after hour on Twitter or Instagram reading, constantly reading about, you know, this this pandemic? Like, we need the information. We need to know what's going on. But we also need to keep living, keep laughing, keep loving, keep smiling, you know, mm-hmm. Uh because if we don't, you know, I, I, I think it's it's a dark, dark future for us, you yeah. know. There's something you said about finding what is your limit. Like, you don't have to climb Kilimanjaro with a fridge on your back if you need no. to walk around the block twice. It's like the old story about eating the elephant. How do you do it one bite at a time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, I'll, 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 I'll add to the elephant. I love the story about when people go on holidays to Malaysia and, and India or they see elephants and they're always amazed that the giant elephant is held in place by a tiny stick, you know, a little bamboo stick in the ground and a, and a piece of handmade string. And people will often say to the mahout, the, the trainer, they say, how is it possible that such a giant elephant is held in place like that? And, and the trainers will often tell them that when the elephant was a baby, that string and that stick was, was significantly, it was strong enough to, to hold him in place. But while the elephant grew, his mind didn't grow. And as people, you know, like what I've tried to say in the book is, you know, try to learn, try to improve, try to change. Um, you know, I, I'm a very happy, upbeat person, Peter, but I, like when I speak to companies or businesses, you know, one of the things I'm very, very strong on telling people is, you know, the average person listening to your show this morning lives 28,000 days. Days. That's all you get. And it doesn't matter how much lycra you own or how much quinoa you eat or how many mountains you run up and down. We're all ultimately headed the same place. So it's so vitally important that, you know, every single day you squeeze the juice out of life. You know, get as much out of each day as you can. Be as happy, be as positive as you can. You know, um, I was laughing talking to Fur Fergal yesterday. Even in his text, I could feel the stress coming down the phone because he was so busy and working so hard. And I, I sent him a message saying, <laughs> That's my wing, man. Yeah. Breathe, breathe, because I like I know any time I go into a radio studio, um, I have huge admiration for what what presenters do, 
and what researchers and producers do because it's it's yeah. complete controlled mayhem yeah. and nobody sees that. If you but saw if you saw us afterwards, you'd, you'd you'd wonder how we ever do what we do. And it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I can't wait to have a good delve into the book, which is called "I'm Fine: Thoughts on Thanks, Life, PJ. Addiction, Love, and Health." And Ordarty, thank you very much, and stay well. Stay well. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. He'd lift you just listening to him, wouldn't he? Right. Um, universities have been polled, tabulated, and surveyed by the Sunday Times. Sunday Times has compiled its annual universities list. We must touch upon it next. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So the Sunday Times will have a supplement this weekend looking at our universities. It's the Sunday Times Good University Guide. Now, it will reveal that Dublin City University is its University of the Year. The runner-up is NUIG. I'm worried that I'm not seeing Cork uh, institutions there, the UCC in particular. Let's talk to Dr. Colm Murphy. He's one of the co-compilers of the survey. The table itself will be out on Sunday and it's embargoed until then. But uh, Dr. Cullum, can you give us some sense of how we in Cork have done? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It's, it's good to be with you. Um, yes, Cork has done very well this year. I mean, it's obviously it's a much more competitive environment um, every year, you know, but, but UCC has always done extremely well. In fact, it holds the record for being named by the Sunday Times as University of the Year uh, five times. Um, and again, last year it came joint second in our league table, and this, this year's league table will be out on Sunday. And it's kind of across most of the metrics, um, it has done well. You know, some metrics uh, that we measure of the eight metrics, it's, it's kind of steady of mutters that have improved the points. Right. So what are you looking for? What are the metrics? Yeah, so the main metrics that we look for is the first one is the student experience, and that has the, the highest weighting. So now students are interviewed about the student experience, and they look across kind of seven different criteria for that so it's everything like the learning environment and support for their learning and clarity of teaching and effective teaching that you know those are the main criteria for that so it has you know UCC has done very well on that and also Cork Institute of not Technology has done very well kind of on that metric. The other one that we look at is the points for entry. So we look at the academic caliber of the students coming in, so the CEO points of the students yeah. coming in because good students in generally, you know, will be good students in the in the college and then good students kind of graduating. Yeah. Um, we also look at the employment rates and again Again, UCC has done well in that it's up again to near ninety eight percent employment wow. of graduates. Yeah. Of course we've got the big story in this particular region at the moment, the, the merger of, of Cork and Tralee ITs and, and into a technical university, a huge one. You've looked at how that might work out, you've done some modelling on it. Yes, we have. So we were interested to see there's this five mergers going on at the moment. So there's a, probably the biggest upheaval in, in third level education that we've ever seen all in a very short space of time. In addition to that, obviously, we have to cope with the 90% of teaching that's gone online as well. So there's huge upheaval in, in, in the sector. But we've done a bit of modelling how, how the, the new Munster Technological University is going to look in terms of how that's going to compare with the um, other universities in the country. And the news is good. Uh, our modelling would suggest that 
the merger between um, Cork Institute of Technology, which has always performed very well on the league tables, and the Institute of Technology in Tralee, they're always going to be battling it out for to be the number one uh, technological university in the country. They're going to be well ahead of Dublin Technological University and well ahead of the one uh, in the west of the country uh, in terms of performance. So they're going to be battling it out every year between uh, so the Munster Technological University will be battling it out between the merger of Athlone and Limerick uh, ITs, uh, which will be forming a new technological university of the Midlands. Uh, but the Munster Technological University will be battling between um, mm. it uh, to see who will be number one technological university. And in the as country. long as we beat the dubs, we're, 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 we're happy. Yes, Life has. Was that? Sorry, yes, it will. The, the new merger, the, the Munster Technological University, will beat Dublin uh, Technological University. You know, we we would estimate at least for the next three to four years, yeah. um, uh, significantly on on the league tables. We will take that briefly to finish. Look, life on on campus. For, like for all of us, but life, life has, on campus has changed dramatically because of the pandemic. You've looked at that? Yes, we have. So uh, we've spoken to the presidents of a number of the institutions and, and the heads of learning and so forth. Now, the interesting thing is they're saying that this uh, huge upheaval that we've seen, the, 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 the emergency move online, uh, a lot of the lessons from that and a lot of what they're doing there in terms of moving to blended learning they're going to stick with a lot of those things. So although in an emergency situation that will, you know, online will, will last certainly, you know, until we have safety to, to return on big numbers back to campuses. But in terms of a lot of the, you know, a lot of the universities were basically running on a Victoria model, really, you know, it's chalk and talk, uh, even though, you know, what they were teaching has moved on, that the actual methodology was still, you know, quite an old-fashioned way of doing things. And this has forced them all, really, to, to take the leap. And uh, a lot of the, the presidents have told us in the interview that we've done with them that they now see you know that that, that model is gone you know the chalk and talk model of sitting yeah. kind of in the classroom and having that be on campus the one that's gone maybe dragged them into the 21st century in a way yes, they never exactly. expected it's to be dragged forced, yeah. it's yeah. forced it's forced uh, it's forced hands and for some students you know that that would be beneficial and obviously trying to take the cost of accommodation down and so forth as well that would be beneficial but also um, you know students are learning in a different way than they used to learn and um, you know not everybody can afford to kind of take four years off the life and, and to, to move to a different city and, and to, 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 to be there. It's not going to suit everybody. So you are going to see much more flexibility in terms of degrees in the future, uh, much more online learning. And the old model of having the exams at like Christmas and the exams in summer, again, that's likely to be replaced by more okay. continuous assessment. All of the detail will be in the Sunday Times as a supplement this weekend. Thank you very much, Dr. Cullum Murphy, one of the co-compilers of the Sunday Times Good University Guide. And I said during the week on the telly, I said that get married in level five restrictions sounded like as much fun as a flat point. Well, I wonder can we check it out because Stephen and Suzanne... Y- you got married yesterday, lads. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. We did indeed. Congratulations. Thanks, Thanks very much. Really. Thanks so much. And, and was it a was it a, a rearrangement or was it the original date? At a complete like we, we were supposed to be married in July fourth, so Independence Day. Right. So that got that got moved to October 29th, which was yesterday. So it's the Independence Day of Turkey. So we, we kind of switched allegiance, but uh, we, we went for it, and it was absolutely fantastic. So, it was- And when you changed your original date, like, 
you were probably very confident that everything would be all right by now. Yeah, we would have been like, so we're, we're engaged probably two years. So we would have been outside building up to the July 4th and we rearranged it back in March. Like I remember my, my stag, we were supposed to go to uh, Lithuania and then that was cancelled and then we were supposed to go to Galway and the pubs shut down. Um, so that was all cancelled. So we were like, oh, look, we'll go for October and sure, it'll be fine by then in a sense. And then sure, it was, as everyone can appreciate, it's been a roller coaster for everyone for the last six months. But um, yeah. And even last week, the, the the hotel or original hotel closed down because of the lockdown. God, so, so we had to rearrange that last week. Also, uh, Suzanne, were you thinking at this stage, Jesus, someone doesn't want me to marry this fella? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> after eleven years, <laughs> you're like, you go with it anyway. But um, yeah, it, it kind of felt like I, you you kept getting knocked down, but we just kept having to, you know, keep coming back up. I suppose and saying. Um, it all could be worse, you know. We're both we're healthy, we're we're good. Our families are good, so yeah. you know you have to kind of look at it that way. Otherwise, you drive yourself insane. So, it was the uh, Church of Our Lady crowned in Mayfield. How many were in the church? There was, there was uh, tw- twenty-five to the number, um, and it was great and all. Like uh, the Church of Our Lady crowned, they, they they only set up the the live streaming the day before when Wednesday night. They got right. us, they got it up and running. So we were the guinea pigs for their live stream. So we're the first mass, if you will, right. uh, to go on that live stream. So there was there was people all over the place. We hadn't even told people that we were doing this, and there was people sending us messages that were watching us. So it was great. It was great in that way that everyone could watch. You know. Yeah, yeah. And you had people outside. I think with their in, with their various devices and sitting in their cars and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now <laughs> it was raining. Then the hotel, you change hotels and only 25 people, now that's include, that's in addition to yourselves, I think, and, yeah. and the staff, so 25 people. How did you decide who could and couldn't go, Suzanne? It was literally just immediate family, really. That's all we had. So um, his own side with his, his brothers and sisters and my brother and sister um, yeah. and obviously mothers and fathers and other. that was basically it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a decision to who can go and who can't go it was just literally look it's just the immediate family yeah. um, but it was still lovely it was a very very nice day and Vienna Woods was like um, just you know Oh, they're, they're great at that they're yeah, Michael Magner and his crew they're, yeah. they're absolutely brilliant now no band no disco no party no, favours no candy cart no nothing like I said I was like it must be about as much fun as a flat pint but obviously it wasn't yeah 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 but it, it, you can't work around it. Like, like in fairness, everyone's been so, so good. Like, like, the, like obviously the band only realised last week that they couldn't come. But the band then went into their, their studio and they recorded our first dance and they videoed it and we danced on a projector then oh, for our first dance. Who, who yeah. was that? It, Electric Lemon. Lemon. So, uh, so Tony from Electric Lemon kind of organised that. Organized brilliant. That. So, it was so we had a first dance to a projector and then we had um, messages from people, and there was videos from people, and all playing it. It was absolute, like it was like the, the, I suppose messages of old, but it was through video yeah. devices and the projector, yeah. and it was it was great. It was absolutely fantastic. So, um, and then everyone and then finished I, up at eleven o'clock. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's not an Irish wedding, but look. No, that's no, there's, there's, we, there's, we can take what we can. Yeah, there's, there's no one, there's no one murdering my Irish Molly at three o'clock in the morning. No, no, no. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> it probably is a good thing. 
So it's 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 done, and you were the first in Our Lady Crowned. And how does it? You'll be able to. You'll tell everyone about this now. For for oh, but I forgot to ask you, Suzanne. No hair, no makeup. How did you get through that one? I sure look. All the girls are very good. Like um, you know, I have um, uh, a twin sister, and then my two bridesmaids. I know for years. Um, uh, so we all just kind of chipped in and helped out everywhere. You know. Do you look so after one another like the Jeep? That's, that's it, yeah. I, I, I was the one really out of luck. Yeah, I would be worried about your hair and makeup, Stephen. How do you... That's, that's it. I cut my own hair, so that, that, that suits Good me. Man. But um, I was a lot of the makeup. <laughs> 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 well, listen, lads, I'm delighted for you. Congratulations, Stephen Thanks, and Stephen. Suzanne Tracy. And it was, it was. And you know what? It's, over the next few weeks, a lot more people are probably just committing. And they, I suppose you can have a big party when this is all over. No, that's it, PJ. Look, we'll have a big party. But, like, it's it's amazing that the people of Cork really, like, are they're just so good. Like, when, when the dips are down, like, people are so, so nice. Yeah. And they've done so much for us, like all everyone, all the vendors, suppliers. So we just can't be so much t- thankful. All right, all right. Well, listen, uh, it, it all came together to make it happen, and you had a great day. I'm delighted for you, Stephen and Suzanne Tracy, married at level five. They'll be able to say that now forever, won't they? This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 0833969696. On Court's 96 FM. 100 years ago today, a man came into the world that wherever Cork people gather, wherever sports people, hurling people gather forever, his name will be spoken in hushed tones. Powerful. He was a powerful hurler. He was a very shy, quiet, retiring guy. Exceptional. Marvellous. Rosa Fan. A superman. A genius, what else? In the autumn of 1939, a slight fair-haired teenager from Cloyne played his first National League match for Cork. He went on to win eight All-Irelands and four National Leagues with Cork, 18 Railway Cups with Munster, 14 County Championship medals with Glen Rovers, and a football championship with St. Nick's. In October 1920, Nicholas Christopher Ring was born here, less than a mile from Cloyne in East Cork. Yeah, the, the great Ringy. That's a beautiful documentary. You'll find it on YouTube. The incredible voice of Niall Tobin as the, as the narrator there. Nigel O'Sullivan, your dad, your dad played with, with Ringy, did he? Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Hi, how are you? How are things? Good, good, good. Your, your dad That's, played with Christy? My, my dad played with Christy, yeah. Uh, he played for the latter years of Christy's career as such. And um, uh, what should I say is that my, my dad played in a lot of county finals as well with the Glen and won a lot of counties and won an All-Ireland with Cork in 66. What was your dad's first name? My dad's name was Jory O'Sullivan. Ah, right, um, okay. He died in 1985 uh, in the Tank Field playing a hurling match with Glen Rovers, a junior hurling match. So he continued playing all the way up like Christy to the later ages of life, you could say. Yeah. And gave his life to it, but um, and well known in, in Cork and with the Glen, yeah. uh, and for playing hurling with the Glen. But, do, you, do you remember uh, him talking about Christy? I remember being on holidays with Christy oh, yeah. in this Yeah, yeah. When I was, I was about twelve. Um, 
so we all went up to the Ring family and the O'Sullivan's. We went to Butlins and um, we spent a week up there because it was close to the Cork, believe it or not, for any games. They could zoom back down and <laughs> they used to be rushing back up the two of them um, to get past the gates at 11 o'clock because the gates would close at 11 in Dublin and they were in, a, in, in not a great shape in cars back in the day, but uh, they, they always made it back in. But I remember being up there one time and thank Christy, uh, and my dad always had a boot of Hurleys. They'd, they'd always bring Hurleys in the back of the car. And they went down and decided to puck a few balls in the soccer pitch in Butlins Mosley. And uh, Christy's uh, son, uh, Christy Jr., Mary, was there. Uh, myself and my own brother, Sean. So we went out and we started pucking ball. Uh, on day three, there was a full hurling match. Everybody went to play with Christy. And my dad as well, to be quite honest, you know. But yeah. uh, Christy was the icon, to be honest. So, uh, so to be a, to uh, be a young lad into sport, mm-hmm. to watch a master like that at work, what was it like? Incredible, incredible. And he was old, and you know, not not old, I suppose. But these days, it's not old. But back then, he was he had an unbelievable eye for the ball. Um, he was amazing. I actually faced the penalty one day. I, that, that's my claim to fame. Fame with Christy. Um, was explaining how to take a penalty to myself, Louis, uh, 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 Christy Jr., and uh, uh, my brother Sean. So I was in the middle, and uh, at the time we used to love any broken hurlies with a big boss. We used to cut them down and, um, you know, use them because we could hit the ball easier. But he'd kill us over that because he wanted smaller bosses than the hurley. Mm-hmm. So we, we were standing on goal, and he used to throw the ball forward. He was never staying in the one spot and he threw forward and he took a shot straight at the goal. I ducked. <laughs> I was in the middle. I ducked. I wasn't there. And the rest, anyway, went for the ball, but he actually cracked the post uh, of uh, of this uh, soccer pitch up in Buttons, Mosley. It's a, and I only he cracked the post with the he force of the hurling. With the, the, the force, force of the ball. Of the ball yeah. That's a true story. Wow. Uh, Louis Jr., Louis Jr. I I, I, I said to Louis, go, or, or sorry, um, Christy Jr. I, I said to Christy, I said, uh, Christy, I said, uh, it was, uh, what was it? It was um, Rod Short's concert. I met him down in Merchant's Key. I said, correct me if I'm wrong. Did he crack? Did he crack that post that day? You know, because you know sometimes you teach, you imagine this. He said he did, and he told you go back swimming <laughs> because I ducked. So, that's that, that's a, that's a great time, that's you know? a fantastic memory to have. Yeah, so, it's, so it's true. Yeah, and we didn't realize we even discussed it ourselves. They had very little time, really. Uh, Fifty-four, uh, fifty-eight, wasn't it? He died at the age of fifty-eight. My dad of forty-five. I will never and, forget, actually, the day the day that he died. Um, and yeah. my 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 next door neighbor, who's no longer with us now, sadly, mm-hmm. walked in ashen faced to to our front room and said, yeah. "Ring is dead." Incredible. I, I, I have another memory of that. My dad coming up the stairs. We lived in Douglas at the time in uh, Hillcourt Estate. We up the top of Danny Brook Hill, and he arrived in, and I heard the dad crying. And at that time, you never hear your dad crying, you know. Yeah. And uh, he's shouting at the mother, "He's gone! He's gone!" And I went, "Jeez!" I came down the stairs. We were only kids at the time. We were fourteen. I, I was fourteen. Brother was sixteen, and it was one of those ones, you know, where you, uh, you'd say, "Jeez, that's terrible," you know, in your head, and it, it really sat in my head. Um, that death and the dad wasn't the same for a long time after that yeah. you know because they used to go to matches together yeah. um, they used to walk out on the pitch together dad telling me stories about him uh, 
going out on to um, uh, so play McCarkey tell him in front of me today and out there, or behind me today when they're going out lining out, you know, and it, that, it was his idol, see. So yeah. Let me let me bring in. Stay there, Nigel. That's an incredible, yeah. lovely story. Stay there, Donald Cronin. Donald, of course, um, senior player at the moment. Donald, how are you? A good PJ and you. Good, good. good. The, the master, wasn't he? Yeah, I suppose. Look, the master and and an icon. I suppose that the word that kind of sticks out for me is that he was an icon for the nation. And I suppose we're kind of lucky in Glenovers that he, he he's our icon and and mm. that he is. He's the icon to many, but I suppose we can kind of feel that a little bit closer. And I'm an awful lot younger and wasn't around to see Christy or when he was alive, but we still feel that it, 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 we can kind of get close enough to touch him through maybe his family and through pictures in the club and that type of thing. So an absolute icon, yeah. And look, you'll go back over the years and you'll be looking to pick up stories and maybe listen to interviews and look at clips on YouTube and stuff like that just to mm. just to really try to embrace... It was, it, nothing, nothing I imagine matches what Nigel's memory is of actually standing up and having him <laughs> crack a no, post. No, but I suppose there's, there's a good picture of the 1952 Munster final where Cork stopped Tip doing, doing four in a row. And I suppose we mentioned an icon, but it's an iconic image of Christy coming off the field with a, a bandage strapped around his head and blood yeah. dripping from him. And there's a gentleman in front of him about to hand him a bottle of water, and that's actually my grandfather. Yes. Ah, so, brilliant. No. Right. No, one more, lads. Stay there again, Nigel and Donald. This no is John, John Cronin. Finally, you a bit of a story about him. Uh, no, I want to bring you back to 1940, PJ, uh, 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 the Munster Championships in Tallis on the, on the 28th of, uh, of July, 1940. Mm. And uh, that was his first Munster final. Yeah. He, he he was uh, number 10, and that was his first Munster final team in Cork. No, he went on then, uh, uh, as you know, like in, he was back in Cork Park in 41, yeah. 42, 43 and 44. Yeah, the four and in that a row. Was four in a row. Yeah. And then in 46, he was back again and he captained against yeah. Kilkenny. As, if, as, as a sports fan who watched him, has he ever, because people often argue, has he had a match ever? Has he had a, an equal in the game? No, no. They, 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 they don't, they'd have fle- fleets of him, you know, just mm. little uh, flashes of magic of him, but uh, he was. He was unique. He was out on his own, you know. Yeah. All right. Listen, I'll leave it there because I'm running out of time. Thank you all. Andrew in Blackpool wants to say to Nigel. Uh, Nigel said Louis Jr. instead of Christy Jr. The job is getting to you. <laughs> the job is getting to you. Listen, it was just fantastic to remember the great man born 100 years ago today on on this day, Christy Ring. Uh, and wasn't he ours? And he was ours. He was of Cork. He was of us. And... He was an absolute legend 100 years ago today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.